get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver, tire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to stay for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Yeah, Bozak uh, will play tomorrow night, and uh, actually, Schwartz is a uh, still. Not sure either. If he doesn't play tomorrow, he'll play Friday. And then uh, Robert Thomas is making real good progress, but he's not ready yet. Uh, Jacob De La Rose will be available too this week, uh, possibly tomorrow. And, uh, you know, no Perinko still yet. Alex Ferrario, the Blues, for the first time maybe all season long, are finally looking like they are about to get healthy. This is the team that we've been waiting for. Vladimir Tarasenko has missed 24 games. Tyler Bozek has missed 21 games. Robert Thomas, who's, it sounds like, getting closer, has missed 16. Schwartz, 14. Pareko, 12. Barbashev, 11. Scandella, 7. Those are some of your best players on the roster. Our best heads are falling off. But they're getting put back on right now and finally the Blues look like they are getting healthy at the right time. Tyler Bozak expected to be in the lineup tonight as you just heard there from Greg Berube who was on with the fast lane yesterday. Jaden Schwartz should be back in the lineup on Friday night as well. What's it mean my man? What should we be expecting from the Blues now that they are finally getting some reinforcements? We are back baby! We are back! means the Stanley Cup's coming to St. Louis, BK. That's what it means. It means Hall & Oates hitting the ice. I've it means we're getting these Hall of, of Famers back. It's good this to have is you it, back. baby. <laughs> this is it, baby. It is done, Tanner. You take your negativity and you keep it behind the board, my man, because the Blues are healthy. Okay, now to, now to get realistic here with you guys. That was my hype. Now let's get realistic. No, I, think that's, this, I actually do think that is realistic. It is, though. Thank you. Thank you, T-Bone. It is. I mean, look, you're getting... Possibly one of your now now listen when I say this you want possibly one of your best forwards in terms of playing Craig Berube's system back that's Jaden Schwartz you getting Robert Thomas back solidifies that third line for you it gives you scoring depth getting Tyler Bozak back makes your defense awareness on the forward side of the game which right now has not been good that solidifies. Whenever Colton Pareko gets back, that's going to benefit this team. Jacob De La Rose is a depth piece. What you're doing, BK, 
is you are solidifying this roster to the point where you do not have to put so much pressure on O'Reilly, on Shen, on Perron, on Hoffman. These guys don't have to play 60 to 90 seconds more a night than what they're doing right now, which means you're going to get prime real estate for these guys, which means the Blues can play their style. Guys can be themselves. This is the best thing that could happen to the Blues at the best time because they're on this road trip where they play great. It gives these guys time to acclimate before April hits. And when April hits, it's off and running with possibly the best lineup you've had all season. All right, I'm excited. Damn right. I'm looking forward to it because I think we can finally start to evaluate the Blues. Because for the last month, it's been, eh, you know, at least they're playing well while they don't have any of these guys in the lineup. I'm sick of having that conversation, man. I really am. I don't want to have it anymore. And we're finally moving past it because there are teams scattered across this league right now that are not at 100%. You look even within the division. Colorado hasn't been at 100% for the vast majority of this season, for example. The Blues still will not be there. Robert Thomas isn't quite back. Colton Pareko is still working his way back. We'll see when he's able to return to the lineup. Ivan Barbashev still has a little ways before he's able to return. But that's normal for a team at this point in the year. To be missing one of your top guys and then a couple of guys that you wish were in the lineup, that's about right. That's what you'd expect. The problem for the Blues for the vast majority of the season has been they've been missing like four top six forwards and two of their top four uh, pairing defensemen. So when you have that, you, you, I can't even look at the team and evaluate them. It'd be like watching the Green Bay Packers and they're missing Aaron Rodgers. Like, I can't tell you what their offense is going to be like whenever they get him back because I can't even evaluate the guys on the roster right now. I don't know how far away they are from the other legitimate threats in, for example, with the Packers, the NFC North. So for the Blues, I'm excited to finally be able to watch what they do on the ice and say, here's what it means for them in the grand scheme of things. Here's what this will mean in the playoffs for them. Here are their deficiencies. Here's what it looks like as we get now two and a half weeks, three weeks away from the trade deadline. Here's what they need to add to the roster. Those are the kinds of things that we can now have conversations about. And for the last month, really eight weeks or so since the start of the season, we just haven't been able to do that because they haven't been healthy. Well, what you just said there about the trade deadline, BK, is why this is a perfect opportunity for you to get these guys back. Because you have the the option now to really look at this team if you're Doug Armstrong and say, what are our weak spots? Because right now we all can agree what the weak spots are defensively, offensively right now. But that's because they're missing so many pieces. And I really feel like this is happening at the perfect time because you have some time in between these games. Like you played this evening, you'll play Friday, Saturday with some back-to-backs. You play, I think, four and seven days next week, but they're spread out. You're not playing yeah, Monday, every Thursday, other day. Thursday, Friday, Sunday, and then the following Friday. So like you, you've got more time off right. for this next two-week stretch than you have at any point in the season prior to last week. So think about that, BK. You get in, you're getting those games in, which, again, you're playing on the road, which is perfect because that's where this team plays their best so they can acclimate these guys in rather than on home ice where they feel like they're putting too much pressure on themselves. But you have those days off. Days off on the road, which means guys are either on the rink or they're in the hotel. That's bonding. That's chemistry. And the more practice time the better you're going to be in terms of getting that system down correctly. So 
I think this is perfect because if you get Thomas back, let's say next week, if you get Schwartz back on Friday, if you have De La Rose back, I don't believe Barbashev or Pareko are on the road trip with the team, which means they're probably not going to return till April. So this is what your roster looks like right now. Those are three key components to this offense that you can say, okay, take your time, boys, because when April 1st hits, that's go time for us. That's playoff hockey. It's playoff hockey now, but t- you can you can ease yourself into the pool rather than just cannonballing in. The excuses are about to be over. Oh, yeah, they're that, done. That's what's happening is I understand that you want Colton Pareko out there. Your team is better with him. He was supposed to be, as Doug Armstrong told us all offseason, the alpha among your blue line. Well, Justin Falk has stepped up and has become that alpha on the blue line for the Blues this season. Tory Krug has stepped his game up a little bit. You'd like it to be better defensively at times. He has his deficiencies, but we knew that. He's been a point producer. He's been much better on the power play, and that's what we expected out of him. Marco Scandella has stepped his game up. He's gone to the right side, and he's played pretty well over there for the most part this season. So I'm done with the excuses once they get these guys back, especially when it comes to the forwards. You got to start scoring, especially at home. You had the excuse at home when you didn't have Vladimir Tarasenko or Jaden Schwartz or Robert Thomas or Tyler Bozak. You were depleted. Your lineup, you were looking at the top six, and you're like, man, is this really what we're looking at here? This doesn't look right for the Blues. That's not the case anymore. When you get Schwartz back, your top six is very likely going to be some combination of Stanford, O'Reilly, Perron, Tarasenko, Shin, Schwartz, and Hoffman and Cairo can fit into that mix as well. Every team in the league would sign up for that. Every single one of them. Yep. There's no excuses for the scoring lapses anymore once they get those guys back. And to your point on the timing, Alex, I'm also excited because it's not going to click right away. It's not going to be they get back on the ice and suddenly now everything's fixed. It's going to take a couple of weeks. They're going to need to build that chemistry because they have been out for so long. And Vladdy is such a significant piece that they've thrown back into this mix as well. That's okay. Because you've got L.A., San Jose, Anaheim. Those are five of your next seven games. Then it gets tough. And that's why for the next two weeks, you've got to really hone in on everything, make sure that everything's in place. Because after that, it's Colorado, Vegas, Minnesota. Colorado, Minnesota, Vegas again. Things are about to get real for the Blues. This is the stretch run that we've been talking about this entire season. Now that they have the reinforcements coming back, the excuses are over. We can evaluate the roster. And really, they need to start building that confidence prior to that stretch run coming up here in two weeks. Yeah, Zach Sanford said it a couple of days ago. Uh, Jordan Cairo said it yesterday. Craig Berube said it yesterday on the the media availability that now it's postseason hockey. And it's been postseason hockey all season, but I think it's still been... Not the excuse, but the cliche saying from the players is, I'm not worried about the team as much as we're worried about ourselves. Well, now they have to worry about themselves, but they do have to worry about the other teams because the other guys around them, you know, the Kings, the Coyotes, the Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, they don't catch up with the Blues in terms of games played until the middle of April, which means there's going to be two or three games in hand on St. Louis still So now is your opportunity to bridge that gap between the Sharks, between the Ducks, between the Coyotes, between the Kings, so that it's you and the three other teams fighting for playoff spot. It's playoff hockey right now, and it's the perfect time to get these guys back for playoff hockey because 
they can take some of that pressure off guys like O'Reilly who can just focus on their game. Because I truly believe Ryan O'Reilly, Shen, Perron, they, they've been effective, but they haven't been as effective as, as we're used to because they're too concerned about fixing all of the issues and playing the penalty kill, playing the power play. Schwartz, Bozak, De La Rose, Thomas, those guys give those guys a little bit of a relief, which is huge. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show throughout the day today. We've got Pierre McGuire talking about the Blues coming up at noon. Former Blues forward Chris Thornburn, Thorburn rather, is joining the show coming up at 1230. It's 1117. Your time check for ITB Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next... Is the Cardinals' rotation set whenever KK and Michaelis return? In other words, is there any way that John Gant and Daniel Ponce de Leon can win a spot in this rotation? We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Watching him show off his entire arsenal and the way that he's able to get out quickly, I think that John Gann can be much more than a stopgap in this rotation. I think that John Gann can stay in this rotation all year. Uh, Now, a lot of things depend on this, right? Uh, What is Miles Michaelis' health like? You hope that if John Gant stays in the rotation all year, it's not just because somebody's injured the whole year. It's because he's shoving. We we hope to hear good news on Miles Michaelis here soon. We'll see, right? The fact is, how are the other starters doing? The name that pops up the most is Carlos Martinez. So that was BT yesterday. I found that to be a really interesting discussion that they had on the fast lane with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Is there a way that John Gant, that's who they were discussing, or, or for what it's worth, Daniel Ponce de Leon could win a spot in the rotation past whenever KK and Michaelis return? I think that's where the conversation starts for me, and I think the answer is yes. I wouldn't be stunned if even after those two guys, KK and Michaelis, return, you see one of John Gant or Daniel Ponce de Leon. And the way that it happened is is not with one of those two getting kicked out. It's with Carlos getting kicked out of the rotation potentially. If Carlos struggles, you could see him in the bullpen. Like, it's not crazy to see that. I think that you are going to see the first at least two or three weeks of the season a legitimate competition between Martinez, Ponce, and uh, Gant, between which one of those three can stay in the rotation after those two other guys get back. I agree, and I think Carlos is the only guy that would get bumped in that, and for obvious reasons. The hard part for me is trying to decide who is ahead in that competition, because I'm with BT. John Gant would be my pick for the guy that could earn that spot in the rotation over Ponce just because the struggles with Ponce of keeping that pitch count down and getting through innings always has seemed to plague him. But on the flip side of that, it's hard for me to say John Gant would win that because I think he's going to be that important for you out of the bullpen as that long man. And we talked yesterday at nauseum about Alex Reyes and that innings limit, where is he going to pitch, who he's going to be for this team. If he is going to be so constricted by the Cardinals, I think they're going to need John Gant. I think John Gant is more lethal for you out of the bullpen than Daniel Ponce de Leon would be out of the bullpen. See, I would think 
the opposite. I would think Ponce would be more dangerous out of the bullpen because he is a higher strikeout guy. I think he, in his career, his strikeout per nine as a starter is above 10, 10.2. So I look at that and I say, you know what, Ponce, to me, seems like he would make sense coming out of the pen. Guy that could come in, get a strikeout when he needed. Yeah, that too. But, yeah, I, I see it as Ponce would be able to slide into the pen and be that guy, that long reliever, if Gant's in the rotation. But, guys, I'm afraid to say it, and it pains me to say it, but I think Carlos will remain in the rotation, even if he struggles early by the time Michaelis and KK come back. Because I look at it now, and I I thought, you know, we should have an open competition for the fifth starter spot when we entered spring training. And it never really felt like we had an open competition. It just felt like it was given to Seamart. And I feel like it's going to remain that way at least in the first couple months in the regular season, and that's what I'm assuming Michaelis and KK will be back as well. It's the same thing, BK, that BT told us yesterday on the crossover. Why Nagowski won't get the job over Matt Carpenter. Money talks. See, I think it's a little different, though, because this is more of a question. I apologize for interrupting, but uh, this is more of a question about role as opposed to are you up or down uh, in AAA or in the big leagues. Carlos is going to be in the big leagues either way. And now it's a question of what's the best utilization of him? Is it in the rotation or is it in the pin? I I think Carlos, much like Matt Carpenter, could be relegated if he does not perform. Out of the pin for Carlos, though, it's so concerning because if he's not closing games, I don't feel comfortable with him coming in high-leverage situations. I don't feel comfortable with him coming in in closing situations. He makes me so freaking nervous every time he takes the mound. I'd rather have him in as the starter to where at least I can control that a little bit, you know? I hear you. I understand. So this would be more of a statement in favor of John Gant. Like this would have to be – John Gant needs to be awesome to win this job. He needs to consistently go out there. And I think he's only probably going to get in this stretch of games that we're talking about maybe three or four starts. Like that's probably the amount of time that it will be before, fingers crossed, you get Michaelis and KK back into the rotation. And if you're looking at three or four starts, I mean, he needs to go – around 25 to 30 innings and give you, I mean, on average, like two earned runs per game in in those games. He he needs to be awesome. He needs to give you basically four quality starts in a row. Um, And if he's doing that, okay, now we can talk about how are you going to take away John Gant from this rotation? Like He's just too good. And he profiles as being that guy. He's got a fastball, a sinker, curve, slider, changeup. He's got every pitch that you could possibly want. He's got the starter's arsenal. He's shown in the past that he is a at least sufficient starting pitcher in terms of the way that his stuff plays the second time through the order. Now, the third time through has been an issue, but that's an issue for every pitcher in baseball, not named like Jacob deGrom or Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander. So I'm not super worried about that. If there's a guy that can win the job, I think it's him. I do not think it'll be Daniel Ponce de Leon. Let me ask you guys a couple of questions. And first off, John Gant, what's the concern level if you are starting him as a rotation guy this season and hoping that he can continue that? What's the concern level that he hits a wall at some point like he did in 2018 where he was awesome and then he fell off the, uh, the charts for the Cardinals later in that season? I'd say zero right now because I will I will ride him out, and then when we hit the wall, that's when I will make my move. I but think, then you lose a guy in your in your pitching arsenal. Yeah, but I, I think with Gant, I think he's now become a veteran. I think because when he hit that wall last time, it was I think his what second year in the big leagues or third. Third. He's kind of he's kind of gotten into it more. I think he will understand how to kind of 
keep his body in shape, keep the arm loose to be ready to pitch a longer 162. And I get it. He'd be jumping from a reliever to a starter. But I I don't have any concerns with him hitting a wall. And if he does, then you can sit him down and do the quote-unquote elbow impingement thing and have him take 15 days off. So here's one thing that we have, I think, lost sight of a bit with the John Gantt situation because the the season that you're talking about, Alex, is 2018. Mm -hmm. And in that year, the first half of the season, he had a 3-5 ERA. That was half of his games starting, half of them relieving. The second half of that season, he started 13 games and he had a 3-5 ERA. He wasn't that bad down the stretch. He was actually pretty darn good, and that was when he was as a starter. Now, let's go to 2019, when he was coming out of the bullpen as a reliever. The first half of that season, 39 games, 2.2 ERA. Lights out. Unbelievable for the Cardinals. Pitched 45 innings in the first half of the season. Second half of that year, completely fried. 25 games, 6.7 ERA coming out of the pen. All of those, none of them were starts. Then we're coming out of the pen. So maybe 2019. It's actually him coming out of the pin that was a problem. When he was on that starter schedule, he lasted a little bit longer. He was more effective later into the season. So it's possible, and again, these are super small sample size. We're talking about two different seasons, not like it's a five-year track record of each. Right. It's possible he's actually better over the long haul as a starter and not as a reliever coming in every two or three days. And 2019 must be the year that I always get confused with 2018, but that's a good point. Because, and, I mean, that's 13 games that he started in that second half of the season. Yeah. That's not a, I mean, it's a small sample size, but it's not a small sample size. I mean, 13 games that have a 3.5 ERA is pretty uh, – it's a solid case for John Gant above Daniel Ponce de Leon. My other question to both of you guys then is – out of the bullpen, let's say we're late in the season, would you rather have a guy who makes contact and can induce double plays, or would you rather have that strikeout guy who, who might get into a little bit of a jam, but he's got that, that lethal pitch to strike things out? Uh, I think because I don't know if you have a guy who induces double plays like John Gant out of the bullpen. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. Tyler Webb's a guy that comes to my mind, but he's not very good against righties, even though he was better last year. Yeah, I think that's tough I, because if there's a runner on, you don't have that like Seth Manus type guy that could come out of the pen and easily get right. you a double play. I mean, we got a lot of those strikeout you guys. You want to know who it is? Don't say it. Jordan don't Hicks. Say it. Oh, I thought you were going to say Carlos. If you want a ground ball, the guy that you bring into the game is Jordan Hicks. Now, I know that a lot of people want him to come in as your closer this year, but you also have Giovanni Gallegos who could fill in that role. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals, specifically Mike Schilt, has been talking about Alex Reyes possibly as a closer. If you want a guy that can come into a high-leverage situation, get you the ground ball double play, the player that you bring in for them is is pretty clearly, in my mind, Jordan Hicks. He has the highest ground throw, ball rate on the team. As long as he doesn't throw a 26th inning well, at bat against a guy named Guillermo. Yeah, well, that, that would be the problem, but he, <laughs> he would be the guy for me. And so if you yeah. need somebody in that spot, the guy that you replace him with, he's not a multi-inning player this year for the Cardinals, but the guy that you would replace John Gant with for that specific situation – in my mind, would be Jordan Hicks. So I, I'd be really interested in seeing that. I think John Gant can win this spot, but it would require two things. He's got to be great, and Carlos Martinez really has to struggle early on. If you don't get both of those things, I'm not sure you see him. If Carlos is going five or six, and he's given up like three or four earned runs, I think that's, that's the spot where it gets a little bit tricky if you're John Mosellock and you're deciding which one stays in the rotation and which one ends up sliding out. I'd agree with yeah. you there. I mean, it, with Carlos, it's going – but see, I feel like he's 11 million. I get it. It's not 18, and yes, I, 
I get your argument of it's it's not the same thing with Carpenter where you're talking about is he on the team or is he uh, not with the team. Yeah. I just view Carlos as, you know, this is the one – this is the final year basically of his contract mm-hmm. with the $11 million. I view it as we we need to maximize him, and that's going to be a guy that hopefully can eat up innings. And I feel like that's how they're going to do it. I agree. I You know me. I don't want to see Carlos in the rotation at all. I'm, you and J.B. Rivers hate him. Yeah, that's true. Yes, you do. I, I just I just view it as Carlos. They're going to look at him. They're going to give him every opportunity, even if, like you said, where it's the four or five innings he's given up, three runs every start, four runs. I think that's how he stays in. I, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think the only way Carlos comes out is if he's doing, like, his first spring training outing where he gives up, I think, like, six in the first or something. He's got to have some blow-ups early in the game. If he looks like he's just totally unprepared, that's how he ends up out of the rotation. And then the tough yeah. part, if you're a Cardinals fan, is, okay, so hold on, we're giving, we're taking him out of the rotation, now we're going to give him in high-leverage situations? That guy that I just saw blow up in the first inning? So it, it's tough. You're rooting for him to succeed, but if John Gant is looking really good, you're also kind of rooting for him to struggle so you can keep John Gant in that role. It's going to be a confusing time as a Cardinals fan, but hopefully they just get all of the positive answers. And as BT would probably tell me, these things tend to find a way to work themselves out. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. You give us two possible scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely to happen next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Is the air comfort service tax lab for more likely to happen? Let's start with this one, Alex. More likely to happen: the Blues win the Cup or the Blues miss the playoffs in 2021? I would say Blues win the Cup because I don't think there's. I need to like knock on as much wood as possible right now. I don't think there's that much of a chance because if you look at the standings. The Ducks are so far back. The Coyotes are pretty far back. Really, your competition are the Sharks and the Kings, and the Kings being the biggest competition. But getting all of these guys back, I think, is really going to help this team. I don't see this team going south anymore. Um, So I would say better bet is to, or more likely to happen, is going to be them winning the Cup because I think getting into the playoffs, anything can happen, and I see the Blues making the postseason. I'm with you. I think it's more likely that they would win a cup than miss the playoffs. I mean, looking at it, the Kings are five points behind them now and only have one game in hand. So, and again, I know it's not a very big gap, but I, with the Blues getting healthy, I, I think we're going to see the play pick up here in the next week or two as the chemistry starts to come back, as we talked about in the Open. I'll say more likely that they're going to win a cup than they are to miss the playoffs. I think it's in play this team ends up maybe even second in this division. At the end of the season. I think yep. it's more likely that they're second than it is that they're fifth. I'll put it that way. And so because of that, I think it's more likely that they end up winning the cup. I just believe in the talent on this roster when they're healthy. I believe in this coaching staff. I believe in their depth. I believe in Doug Armstrong's willingness to make a move at the deadline if one is necessary. So I I know that right now they're fourth. I know that right now, if you look at their goal differential on the year, They're minus four, which is disappointing. This is not where any of us wanted them to be. We also have to acknowledge that they've been without key players for the vast majority of the season. So I think it's far more likely that they end up winning the cup. 
I'll, sorry, I'll say this too, BK. You got eight games against Minnesota, five games against Vegas, six games against Colorado. Unless you just lose all of those games, you're going to be keeping par with the teams that are right there with you. So that's going to benefit the Blues too, rather than them just playing Anaheim, San Jose, and L.A. the rest of the season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for more likely to happen. More likely to trade for Deshaun Watson. I'll give you three teams here. The Patriots, the Bears, or the Panthers, most likely to trade for Deshaun Watson. Patriots, Bears, or Panthers. By the way, earlier today, John McClain, who's been covering the Texans for 45 years down in Houston, diehard, tweeted that the Texans haven't said they are not trading Deshaun Watson since January. He fully expects them to eventually be traded still. So, Alex, which of those three teams are you saying is most likely to trade for Watson? Well, it's not going to be the Patriots because who the hell are they going to trade for? Are you going to just send them all of the picks? All Jared Stidham and all of the picks? All of them. I don't think I don't see that happening. Because the Bears were so aggressive in going for Russell Wilson and they had that rug swept out from under them, I would put them there, but then they just signed the Red Rocket, and that pretty much took them out of the running. So I'll say more likely to happen that the Panthers trade for Deshaun Watson because I think they can put a very appealing package together to get him out of Houston. Man, I I think Carolina makes the most sense, but I don't want to roll out the Bears, and if they were pushing heavily for uh, Russell Wilson, which is what all reports are saying, I would not Three be shocked. Three first-round picks and two starters is reportedly what they offered. I would not be shocked if Bears. were to acquire Deshaun Watson. So I'm going to say more likely that it's the Bears. Now, yeah. I don't know if they're going to give up the Red Rocket and Andy Dalton yeah. because I don't know they if they're going to want Dalton. them. But I think if you give up picks and then you throw Andy Dalton in as kind of that stopgap quarterback... Yeah. I'm going to say the Chicago Bears. If they but were that the happy, they just signed Tyrod Taylor. Why do they yeah, want Andy Dalton? Get the hell out of here. Unless <laughs> Bill fine. O'Brien is running that team, they're not making that trade. No, I, 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 still I still don't want to roll Andy out the Bears. Dalton. He was a free hey. agent yesterday. They could have signed B- him if they wanted BK, BK, I'm the Houston Texans. You're the Chicago Bears. You call me up and say, dude, look, we want Deshaun. We have Andy Dalton for $10 million. Pull the trade right now. Let's do this. You could have signed him yesterday for whatever he wanted. You could have given him $10 million yourself, and you didn't have to trade for him. But now you're going to go ahead and grab him off of our team in a trade where you're giving us Deshaun Watson. That's how you get him. That's horrible. Um, I'm going with the Panthers. I still think they... They make the most sense to me. There was a report earlier today that the Panthers are referring to Deshaun Watson as, quote, plan A, B, and C, because they view him as the one player that could become available that legitimately changes their possibilities of winning a Super Bowl. Not just to be a better team. They want to win a Super Bowl. you got to remember who their owner is. This is the guy that was, like, the manager of a uber-successful hedge fund on Wall Street. He's not trying to win nine games. He's trying to go win a Super Bowl. He wants to have a chance to win it all. That's why he brought in a coach from college and gave him an offer that he, quote, couldn't refuse. And that's why they brought in Joe Brady from the college ranks. This team is built a little bit differently. If there's anybody that would be willing to give up the the farm, the whole farm, the neighbor's farm, and the farm down the street, for Deshaun Watson, it would be the Carolina Panthers. So I'm going with him as the most likely. Bears. 
Um, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service next line for more likely to happen. I like this one. More likely to happen. BK correctly picks the national champion or he admits that the Chiefs are not currently in the midst of a dynasty. <laughs> well, considering that uh, considering that you picked the wrong golfer on your fan okay. duel. <laughs> it wasn't just um, the wrong golfer. And tried live betting one day. And tried a live betting on a game that was basically over before you even gave the people the bet. To clarify, it wasn't that I picked the wrong golfer. Had he been eligible because he was healthy, he very well may have won that tournament. That's oh, However, you're right. he dropped you're right. out of the tournament because he had a knee injury. You're right. That That's so much better than that. Uh, I would say more likely to uh, say that the Chiefs are in the midst of a dynasty uh, because that, along with Tom Brady as the GOAT, just seems to be an easy thing for BK to say. Yeah, I'm with you. It's far more likely that I say I correctly picked the national champion that I say than me saying on the air the Chiefs are not in the midst of a dynasty. There's no chance that happens. They absolutely are. We all know that to be the case. Uh, I don't know. They're getting rid of all their offensive linemen, BK, okay. so We're they're going to just be yeah. terrible. Rebuild. Rebuild. 780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. All right, more likely to happen, guys. More likely to win the AFC East this year. The Patriots, Dolphins, or Bills? I think it's the Bills. Especially now they they signed Emmanuel Sanders to give themselves even more of a threat for Josh Allen. Defense, I think they pretty much locked up their one free agent, yeah, the linebacker. Yeah, so, so they're kind of bringing back the same roster. So I think it's an easy pick for the Bills. I think the Dolphins are an easy number two depending on what they do with the quarterback situation and with those draft picks. And then I'd say the Patriots are third. But, yeah, I would say more likely the Bills win it. Yeah, I'm with you. I, to me, the Patriots aren't there. Quarterback's a big problem for them. I'm not sold on Tua, uh, even though Belichick has said. I'm talking about open-heart surgery here. It, it kind of is. You're not going to solve the Bills with what they just did. So give me the Bills. I am sticking with the Bills. If the Dolphins find a way to make this work with Watson, and I know I just said the Panthers make the most sense. I still believe that. If the Dolphins find a way to make that happen, they would be my favorite in the AFC East. But it would take a move like that first. I'm just not all in on Tua Tungavailoa. Not yet. Last one here. Let's do this quickly, guys. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. More likely to happen at the deadline. The Blues trade for a defenseman. Or the Cardinals trade for a top end of the rotation starter. More likely deadline move. Blues get a defenseman or the Cardinals trade for a top end of the rotation starter. Cardinals trade for a top end rotation starter because I don't see Doug Armstrong making a move for a defenseman because Colton Pareko all signs pointing towards him returning. And I think there's a lot of top end guys that could be out there. So I'd say top end for the Cardinals. I'm going Blues. I don't think the Cardinals will part. What it would take for a top end starter, it's going to take some prospects. I don't know if the Cardinals would part with their top prospects. So I'm going to say Blues. Max Scherzer, boys. Max Scherzer, that's the one. If they're going to do it, it would be him. I don't Chris think they're going to. Chris Sale. I don't Chris think they're going to go get him this year. I think that is a next offseason move. So I'll still go with the Blues. I'm with Tanner on this one. I think it would be more for a depth piece, though. 
I would agree. I, I think I would it's agree. more likely they pick like a sixth guy that could maybe fit into the mix than it would be that they get somebody to potentially replace Colton Pareko's minutes. I don't think you need a depth piece, though, a D, because if Pareko's back, Mikola's your sixth guy or your seventh guy. Do you feel comfortable with only six, though, given what Pareko's back issue is right now? I just don't know that I would feel 100% confident in that right now. And if you're going into the playoffs, I know everybody loves Bortuzzo. I would like to upgrade from that a little bit. If possible, if it's... Not a crazy asking price. So that would be the one place that I would maybe look at. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Pierre Maguire is going to join us coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Comfort service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, did the Cardinals make a mistake by not re-signing Colton Long? He's already crushing the baseball with the Brewers. What's crushing the ball with the Brewers? From what I can understand, I I think he's actually had a really good spring for them. So I I get where he's coming from. My answer to the question is no. I wish he was back. I wanted him to be back with the Cardinals, but... I understand the move. If you were in at the time, and we didn't know this then, if you had serious thoughts that you could be able to get Nolan Arenado and what it would require from you financially is giving up Colton Wong, well, then that was the right move. If that's what it takes for you to be able to bring back Yachty, bring back Wayno, and to trade for Nolan Arenado, they made the right move. Now, and I haven't seen any of his games with Milwaukee, but according to the stats from spring training, at 16 at-bats, he's hitting 188 with a 715 OPS. He's got a home run, and that's about it. I don't know if I would say that's crushing the ball, considering what Tommy tomatoes, Edmond is tomatoes, doing. Tomatoes, all right? Well, you say tomato, I say fruit. But considering what Tommy Edmond's doing this spring training, no, I don't think they made the wrong move. I think what Colton Long got, he deserved. The Cardinals just didn't feel like it was what they needed to pay for a second baseman. They have Tommy Edmond. They love Tommy Edmond. He's the prototypical leadoff guy for the Cardinals. And like you said, BK, you got Nolan Arenado out of the deal. So, no, I don't think they made the wrong move. I think they did the right thing in letting Colton Wong go on and making sure Tommy Edmond has a permanent spot with this team. I'm with you. I, I think you've created the perfect spot for Tommy Edmond now. And now you get to learn if Tommy Edmond is the future second baseman. And if he's not, you can go make a move next season. Or you've got Nolan Gorman ready to uh, play second base. He was in the field at second yesterday in the backfield. So I, I like to move to let him walk. He wasn't worth, what was it, 10 $12 million yeah. on his option. So, yeah, I have no problem with the Cardinals' decision. If I told you going into the offseason that you could trade Colton Long and Austin Gomber as the ex- the only major league pieces that you're trading for Nolan Arenado and $50 million in cash, we all would have signed up for that. And that's essentially what the Cardinals did here. They didn't specifically trade Wong for him, but the money that they were able to move around by removing Wong from the equation basically amounted to what they're now going to spend on Nolan Arenado. So if you look at it through that prism, I think it makes some sense. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, where do I find the 101 ESPN College Basketball Challenge? And who are you picking for this year's tournament. Well, you can sign up to play in this year's Bracket Madness Pickup Challenge brought to you by the Sportsbook at Argosy Casino, Alton, and Bud Light at 101ESPN.com. Free to enter, 
This year's top scorer will take home a $250 Fanatics gift card. Must be 21 or older and a resident of Missouri or Illinois. First round starts on Friday. Get signed up for the Bracket Madness at 101ESPN.com. Alex, have you decided on who you're picking to win the title this year? So I've done three brackets since yesterday when we talked. Two of my three, the Fighting Illini. three brackets? Didn't we talk yeah. about this? It's you like get one. Cheating. No, there's five options on the 101 ESPN app. Cheater. That's you get cheating. one bracket, Alex. You get to pick no. one that you're There are five. Di- oh, I only get to pick one. Okay, well, I haven't decided on my <laughs> one yet, but I've done three. I have two of them winning fighting a line. Get ready for this one, boys. And I got one, the Michigan Wolverines winning. Wow. Really? Okay. Yeah. They didn't finish the year the way that you would like. No, but I, I have faith in Juwan Howard okay. with that team. Um, I'm not saying that's what I'm going with right now. The odds are 66% of the final line. all 68 teams to win the national championship. And and one well, I, I haven't gotten there yet, boys. So sooner or later, I'm going to have a winning bracket, and I'm going to kick the tar out of everyone. Tanner, who are you going with this year? I'm going with the Zags. Buddy Lino. No, I'm going Whoa. with the Zags. They, they've got three great players, three top in NBA players. They are going to go undefeated and win the tournament. Illinois, oh. I'm telling you, Illinois may lose in the second round to Loyola Chicago. Oh, okay. I, All I'm, right. You can say that, and oh, okay. I know it's a quote-unquote hey. terrible take, but BK. I'm telling you, they may lose to Loyola Chicago in the second crazy. round. BK, Sister Jean is going to be in attendance for that game. Oh, my God. So, what is she, 101 years old now? Yeah. yeah. And she is still rocking that to Loyola scarf. I'm telling you, Loyola might make a run. I just hope I, I make it to 50. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon <laughs> Kylie. I'm going with the Illini. That's who I'm picking to win it all this year. I'm playing to the favorite. Let's be oh, honest here. Coming up next, let's talk to Pierre Maguire. The Blues are finally getting healthy. What's that mean for them? And how has Pierre rated this team so far this year? We'll talk to him coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by NHL broadcaster for NBC. He is Pierre McGuire joining us here on the show. Pierre, thanks so much for the time today. How are you doing, my friend? Doing fantastic. Nice to visit with you, gentlemen. Absolutely thrilled to have you. So I wanted to get your big picture view on what this blue season has been thus far because it, it's been a little bit of ups and downs and a lot of that, at least here locally, we kind of uh, placed on the injury issues that they've run into. How have you viewed this season for the Blues? Well, it's definitely been topsy-turvy. There's no question about it. I think one of the things that's really strange is the home record versus the road record. A tremendous road record. I think they've got 10 wins, two losses, and two overtime points um, or shootout points. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're three games below 500, if I remember correctly, off the mm-hmm. top of my head, on their home record. So um, that's what's shocking to me uh, more than anything else. And it says to me that the building is a little bit different without fans and with fans. And, and those fans in St. Louis are phenomenal. They give these guys a bit of an edge. And when they go on the road and there are no fans in the opposition building, it's kind of like they, they're much more comfortable for whatever reason. And I think a lot of teams are going through that around the league, which is a kind of a different process for everybody because of what's gone on with COVID. 
to celebrate the positive, David Perron's had a phenomenal year. Ryan O'Reilly's been outstanding. Braden Shen's been really solid. Uh, Jordan Kyrou's starting to attain the levels offensively that I think the people in St. Louis were hoping for. So there's a lot of good there, but the injuries and obviously the Petrangelo defection to Vegas has really hurt them, and the retirement of Bowmeister hurt them as well. Pierre, how big of a deal is it for the Blues to be getting some of these healthy players back? Tyler Bozak returning tonight. Sounds like Jaden Schwartz coming back on Friday. Is this a different team when these guys get healthy? Oh, 100%. And that's one of the things. I don't think you need to panic if you're Craig Berube or Doug Armstrong, obviously the management group and the leadership of the coaching staff. But you do need to get them back at some point here. Um, you know, getting Colton Pareko up to another level once he's healthy would be great too. But I think more than anything else, it's just finding your way and, and just keeping your head above water. I think once the playoffs start for everybody, uh, it's going to be different. You know, the fact that Vladdy Tarasenko is back for the team, I think, is really, really important for them. But I can't stress enough. I mean, you look at just the free agency defection of, of uh, Petrangelo. You look at the retirement of Bolmeister, the injury to Pareko. I mean, that's tough stuff to overcome. It's not easy. It's really difficult. Do you think they have the forward depth, the scoring depth, to be able to overcome that this year? As long as everybody stays healthy. One other thing, and I, I really was remiss. I should have brought it up right away just thinking about it because I was in touch with him right after he announced his retirement. The leadership component of Alexander Steen, I don't know how much that's been brought up in your community, but his retirement, um, that's pretty substantial. Uh, he was a tremendous force behind the scenes. He was highly respected by the players in the organization, and he could still play at a real high level. So I think that's something that doesn't get enough uh, attention either. But I do think the team has more than enough internal depth to get over the hump. I really do. Pierre, not only a longtime broadcaster, but you've been within a hockey organization in the front office as well. How do you overcome that loss of leadership with a Steen, with a Bowmeister, with a Petrangelo, and try and implement that with new guys like a Ryan O'Reilly, a Braden Shen, and now a Justin Falk? Well, I think with Ryan in particular, just talking about Ryan O'Reilly, there's instantaneous street cred. I mean, he's been part of a Stanley Cup winning team. He was a Cosmite Trophy winner. He's really highly respected around the league for his work habits and the way he carries himself. So I don't think that's much of an issue. I think most of the guys look at that and say, you know, this is a real good player, obviously. I, I think you look at Tory Krug, he's never won the Cup, but he's been in the final twice. I think people look at that. and That's some pretty impressive street cred as well. But David Perron's been around this league a long time. Braden Shen's been around this league a long time. Those are guys you can look up to. So I don't think there's a void in leadership. I think more than anything else, it, it translates in terms of overall organizational depth on the ice. It's not so much away from the ice, but Steen was Steen was a, a really solid leader along with Petrangelo, and you got to hope internally you can find a way to replace it. We're talking to Pierre Maguire, NHL broadcaster for NBC, He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Pierre, I did want to ask you, you know, when you look at what the Blues have been able to do without some of these key guys for so long this year, have you seen in the past teams that were able to at least stay afloat during this time, and that's what the Blues have done thus far, could this end up working in favor of them later on by building some of that depth and maybe you were able to get uh, another step from Jordan Cairo in this period? Could this later on be viewed as a silver lining potentially? Oh, I just think that's such a valid point. I'll never forget the Boston Bruins in 2011, the year they won the Cup, and that's exactly what happened. They dealt with a lot of injuries, and players had to, you know, step up and overcome. Johnny Boychuk is one of the perfect examples of that. Um, you know, like found money for them. Danny Paye, Gregory Campbell, Sean Thornton. Uh, so, no, I think that's such a valid point. It makes a lot of sense, and it really holds true. 
Um, I, I think the one thing that's really powerful there is the coaching staff. The addition of Jimmy Montgomery, the staff's been tremendous. Mike Ben Ryan coaches the defense. He does a great job. Steve Ott is a real good motivator. David Alexander is considered one of the better goalie coaches in the league, and Barubi is a fantastic motivator. So you put it all together. I mean, they've got a lot of real positive stuff there. Uh, behind the bench in the front office, obviously Doug Armstrong is going to be the general manager for Canada at the Olympics. Um, that's that's a pretty high, uh, dangerous uh, job to have, especially in Canada. And, and Doug's been very, very good at being part of Hockey Canada for a long time. So you're in real good hands there. I, I, I think this thing will all sort itself out, but I love the point about uh, – you know, a lot of people getting opportunity to play because of obviously the injuries, and that should bode well once they get to the playoff situation. Pierre, I'm fascinated by what you just said about the coaching staff and the front office combination. Do you is this the best combination of staff plus GM in the league, in your opinion? No, I can't say that. I mean, you've got a lot of really good, competent people. Tampa Bay is defending Stanley Cup champions. They've, they've got an outstanding coaching staff and management group. I mean, I can go around the league. Boston Bruins have a tremendous coach. Sure. They have a coach of the year last year and a general manager that uh, has been involved in three trips to the Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, so one is a GM and two is a director of player personnel. So I, I, with all due respect, I, I, you know, these guys are really good. There's no question they're outstanding, but to say that they're the best, I don't think that would be appropriate for me to say that. Pierre, two years ago, I think all of us could agree the strength of this team when they won the Cup was goaltending and just all-around play. But when you look at this team this season, let's say at full strength, in your opinion, what's the strength of this Blues team? I think just their work habits and their attitude about playing a hard game. You know, the year that they won the Cup, I, I did all their games in the playoffs, and the one thing that really stood out to me was just how hard they were to play against. They were physical. They were tough. They had clearly uh, prepared game plans. Um, their pro scouts had done a great job, uh, led by Robbie DeMaio. They really were ready to play every round, and I think that still holds true today. Um, you know, you look at the ability of this team to grind and to push and to compete, and um, I, I think there's a lot to like about this organization. There's a lot to like about the way the team is constructed. You know, they're, they're, uh, you cannot win the Cup without really good depth players. And the year they won the Cup, I'll never forget the line of Barbershev, Sunquist, and, uh, and Steen. And that line made a massive difference. It made a massive difference for the St. Louis Blues that year. And they still have a lot of the same components. Obviously, Sunquist is there. Obviously, Barbershev is there. Um, you know, Steen is retired. But they're guys that can step in and play that way, that style. So Mackenzie McEachern, I know he's hurt right now, but he's one of them that comes to mind. So there's a lot to like about this group. There really is. And, and until the play, I don't think you judge the St. Louis Blues. Just like I don't think you judge a Toronto Maple Leafs based on the regular season. I think you judge them based on what they do in the playoffs. Pierre, one guy that if they're going to go on a run in the postseason will be a key for it is Jordan Bennington. And last week it was announced that he signed that six-year extension worth $36 million. What was your reaction when you heard about the news? And is it any surprise to you that the Blues prioritized keeping him here long term? Well, I think they, they know him a lot better than I do. David Alexander knows him, the goalie coach, a lot better than I do. Uh, I did not think he was very good last summer. I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you that. I did all the Blues games in the bubble up in, in Edmonton, and uh, there were times when I thought he was completely not plugged in and wasn't really effective compared to the year before. Obviously, 
his performance in the first period of Game 7 in Boston is as good a performance as you're ever going to see from a goalie, and that's why the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup that year. That first period performance by Jordan Bennington was unbelievable. I don't think he ever showed that at any point last year during the regular season or in the playoffs. He's got to get back to that same level or close to it. Um, he hasn't had a particularly good year this year, to be honest. When I saw he signed that contract, I said they must know him a lot better than I do. So I'll defer to that. But um, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of term, and, and he better not disappoint. Pierre, final one I got for you. I know we're less than a month away from the trade deadline for this season, which is going to be a really intriguing trade deadline with kind of all the restrictions with COVID and whatnot. But when you look specifically at the Blues, they have cap situations when they get players healthy but do you think from a general manager's perspective, Doug Armstrong looks at this team and says, I think I can make this an even closer team to a Stanley Cup championship? Oh, yeah. No, I think so, especially when you have the top end of the roster that they have, and especially with the way David Perron's uh, overachieved this year for his age. And just chronologically, this is a phenomenal season for a player that age to be over a point of game player is phenomenal. Um, so I'm sure Doug is not mailing it in on this team at all. He's going to give them the best opportunity they can to win. Uh, so, no, I, I can see him being proactive. Here are the things you need to think about going into the trade deadline on April the 12th. Number one, you have to know there's an expansion draft coming with Seattle coming into the league, so you better make sure you have your ducks in a row there uh, when it comes to the expansion draft because a lot of teams made really critical mistakes the last time we had an expansion draft. Don't be that general manager that makes the very same kind of mistakes um, that we saw happen in, in the last expansion draft. That's number one. Number two, what's the appetite for ownership groups around the league to take on more money without fans being in the building? These owners are getting absolutely decimated financially this year. This has been uh, an unbelievably difficult process for ownership groups around the National Hockey League. I can't speak about the other sports. I can only speak about hockey. And I know there were at least 11 teams that did not want to play this season without fans. And they said, you know what, for the good of the game, we're going to play. And they are taking their financial lumps. So that's another thing to think about. And then the third thing that I think is really important that you have to think about is a quarantine. When you make a deal uh, from Canada to the United States or make a deal from the United States to Canada, there are quarantine issues that will be involved. And if you take the Canadian teams out of the pool, that shrinks it by seven. That makes it harder to do deals. Um, so that's those are the three permutations that are really going to affect the trade deadline on April 12th. He's Pierre Maguire, NHL broadcaster for NBC. Pierre, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Just love to see uh, the Blues playing, and I can't wait to get out to St. Louis. I'm actually out there, I think, in two to three weeks. I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic. We'll catch up with you again then. Thanks so much, Pierre. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. Take care. Have a great day, everybody. Absolutely. That's Pierre McGuire joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's 1216. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I know the thing that a lot of Blues fans are going to hang on to there is what he had to say about Bennington, and he's clearly not a huge fan. Let's set that aside for a second because I thought he made a really great point about the fourth line as well, Alex. And he was talking about how significant that was in the Blues run to the Cup. And we all know that here locally. But I think that's been lost a bit this year. As much as we've talked about Dakota Joshua and how how impressive he's been, Kyle Clifford has had some moments, that fourth line hasn't been the same offensive presence that they had from it in the playoffs back in 2019. And with Sonny potentially dropping back down to that fourth line whenever everybody's healthy, and maybe you see Tyler Bozak whenever you get Robert Thomas back drop down to that fourth line, that's when you're going to get that back, man. And let's not overlook that. As much as we're talking about what the top six look like, 
it's really the bottom six that has been the identity for the Blues over the years. And I think that's what's so significant about them getting healthy again is you're having overqualified fourth-line players here pretty soon. It is. And don't just look at the fourth line from that cup run. Look at the third line as well, BK. The Blues don't win that Dallas Stars series unless Tyler Bozak, Robert Thomas, and Pat Maroon play the way that they did. So you need all four lines if you want to win the cup like Pierre talked about. I would say kind of hold your thoughts on what that fourth line is going to look like because to Pierre's point, Doug Armstrong is going to make this team better if he can. And there might be another role player out there that can match kind of what Alexander Steen brought to the table. But if your fourth line is this way of a Barbashev, a Sunquist, and a Tyler Bozak or a Kyle Clifford, expect, really those, <laughs> expect those guys to do what Alex Steen in that line did for Craig Berube a couple of years ago. They're going to go out there and do exactly what they need to do to win. And I would see Tyler Bozak having the same effect that an Alexander Steen had if he's on that fourth line. And by the way, what a perfect player for Craig Berube to point to for uh, for Tyler Bozak. And it's it's similar, too, in that Steen was at the back end of his career, had some injuries pop up, and Berube had that conversation with him and said, hey, the best way for us to win a cup is for you to take this type of a role. Yeah, he can have a very similar conversation and point to the fact that you've seen this. You saw what this looks like, Tyler Bozak. And Bozak's a great team player. I've got no doubt that he would listen to that and say, yeah, I'll accept whatever role I have to to be able to win with this team. But, man, that's that's the kind of thing that can make a difference in a year like this when you have so many quality teams around the league, and we've seen them here in the West Division. I I can't wait to see what that looks like now that they're getting closer to being 100%. All right, coming up next, can you even imagine – being a Bears fan today. You don't have to imagine it. I went ahead and listened to some Chicago Sports Talk Radio last night. Oh, boy, you're going to want to hear these Bears tears. It's coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. to pass along from Arizona. A.J. Green has signed a one-year deal worth $6 million guaranteed with the Arizona Cardinals. So he is going to be joining Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. A.J. Green, $8.5 million is the maximum that he could earn with the Cardinals. Oh, good. Another weapon for Kyler Murray not to be able to throw the ball to. The Arizona Cardinals would be uh, building an awesome 2017 All-Star team. A really (laughs) awesome 2017 All-Star team. A.J. Green a little past his prime (laughs) at this point. All right. So the big news yesterday, though, of course, was the Chicago Bears signing a one-year $10 million deal with their new starter, apparently, Andy Dalton. Woof. Now, Bears fans had convinced themselves that Russell Wilson was going to be in Chicago. Like, they had legitimately bought into the belief that that's where he was going. He was going to be their new starter. That is not going to be the case. Dan Patrick reported earlier today that they offered three first-round picks, a third-round pick, and two starters for Russell Wilson. When it was announced yesterday that the Bears were signing Andy Dalton, I immediately knew. I got to tune into 670 to score up in Chicago. I got to hear what this sounds like on Chicago Sports Talk Radio. They had multiple callers in the segment that I listened to. I went ahead and pulled this audio for you guys because it's tremendous. Let's start with Alex. Hey, I'm pretty fired up about the signing, and I'm probably the only one there. And the reason is they had two choices with Pace. You either fire him or you extend him. They didn't either, so they left us all in this limbo. 
And I'll tell you what right now, you get Dalton, they have zero chance to be competitive at all this year. Zero. So you're going to get rid of, uh, you know, Pace and Nagy in one more year. It's exactly what, you know, the Bears ownership does. They're a bottom three franchise, and they're showing it right now. So it's one year they flush down the toilet, I'll move on, and I'll be fine. So he seems excited. He's very excited about the move. That that was the premise of the call because this means that everybody's getting fired. I, I love how how fans end their phone calls in like Chicago and New York after they've like vented. They're like, "It's fine. I'll be fine. I'm just gonna move on." Everything's Obviously, be you're fine. not. Everything's fine. It's fine. I'm just gonna move on. Well, uh, he ended his call very similarly to the way that Nick ended his with 670 to score up in Chicago. Like, I'm a Cubs fan. It's been brutal for years, but then, you know, we had great, um, we had a great 2016. I get it. Now the Bears, like with the Bears, you know, they're just, you know, I'm not going to not be a Bears fan, but man, they're just, like, they're making it tough, man. You know, you guys, you know, it's got to have a good one. <laughs> I'm not going to not be a Bears fan, but man, they make it tough. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right, last one here. Let's hear what Trent had to say about the move signing Andy Dalton on 670 to score. Hey guys, there. I'm 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 here to officially pee in the Cheerios. There's there's no help coming at QB with the Dalton move. Look at the cap hell that the Bears are in. They completely missed the mark. This was their opportunity to clear the slate. Clear the GM, clear the coach, clear the QB, get rid of these big, hefty, aging defensive contracts that were there, and they screwed it up. We missed the mark. It's done. It's over. And this is the last nail in the coffin. You are a factory of sadness. Is that a saying? I'm sorry to pee in the Cheerios? Who does that? Uh, well, uh, apparently uh, our guy Trent, Trent up in Chicago is the one that does that. Listen, I get it, man. If you're a Chicago Bears fan, like think about the greatest quarterback in the last 30 years for them. Is it Jake Cutler? I legitimately think the best quarterback oh, wow. of the last 30 years if you're a Bears fan has been Jay Cutler. Woof. That is the Woof, ceiling indeed. of what you've seen. Now, in recent Great hair, years... Though. The Bears finally addressed the position. You thought you were getting the answer. They trade up to number two overall in a draft with Sean Watson and Patrick Mahomes. And they signed Trubisky. That's the answer. In the draft with Mahomes and Watson, they traded up for Mitchell Trubisky. And then, and then... Last offseason, they trade for Nick Foles. So now this year, your answers at the position are Nick Foles and Andy Dalton. You want to talk about a factory of sadness, man. Hey, Try being a Bears on. fan. Hold on a minute, BK. That's one quarterback that won a Super Bowl was the MVP, and that's another quarterback who has possibly the greatest nickname in all of football right now. Am I wrong? Although you did get rid of the guy who basically got you to the playoffs last season in Mitch Trubisky. So I would take Trubisky over Andy Dalton. I would take Trubisky over Andy Dalton and I, Nick Foles. I would rather have Mitchell Trubisky on the team this year than either Nick Foles or Andy Dalton. Not to live in, like, past hell, but do you remember how people were excited in St. Louis when the Rams were here and they acquired Nick Foles? Yeah. Well, was Everyone was like, oh, my God. It was the right move at the time. They, trade Sam, uh, they, they traded Sam Bradford, and it was like, okay, well, at least this guy's healthy. I don't know if he's going to be good, but it's something different. 
And it obviously didn't work no out. quarterback can be good in a Jeff Fisher system. Yeah, that's a good point. And we saw Easy that with uh, Jared Goff, who ended up going on to do wonders. With Alex <laughs> Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, <laughs> Stanley Cup champion, former Blues forward Chris Thorburn is going to join us to talk about what the addition, what the return of Jaden Schwartz and Tyler Bozak will mean for the Blues. Chris Thorburn next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Always happy to catch up with the Stanley Cup champion, and that's what we do right now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity. Former Blues forward Chris Thorburn joining us here on the show. Chris, always appreciate it, man. How you doing today? Uh, doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. How you guys doing? Uh, doing well. Uh, what have you been up to, man? What's this year been like for you as you've been sitting back, hopefully watching a lot of hockey? Dude, I wish I had something way more exciting to tell you, but uh, that's been pretty much it. Just uh, the hockey. I'm glad the baseball's coming back around. So pretty much just sports. And, uh, well, the weather's getting nicer, so we're able to take the kids outside and uh, fart around a little bit. So, Chris, have you missed the game at all, sitting there watching and watching your, your, your teammates out there playing in the season? Or do you feel like you can sit back and say, man, it, it sucks being retired, but, man, is it nice being retired? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I don't have to deal with the ebbs and flows and the stress and all that kind of stuff. So that's definitely that's definitely a positive. But, dude, I tell you what, I play men's league here once a week, and I hate putting on my equipment. I could do without that. Um, but I, I miss the guys, man. I, I really do, and uh, I miss the camaraderie and that aspect of it. Um, I take that back in, in in with any chance I got. But uh, just to be able to watch guys on TV that I know and I cheer for, uh, like the Blues team, uh, it's uh, it's satisfying. Chris, I got to tell you real quick. So, so my wife and I just had our first child, and, and throughout the pregnancy, I grew out my beard in support for my wife. And I cannot tell you how many people told me you have the perfect Chris Thorburn yes. beard going on right now. Like I got my beard compared to Chris Thorburn so many times. I loved every second of it. Well, congratulations on both ends of that with the kid, and then looking like me, I, I guess it's not much of a compliment, but dude, I mean, I still got my beard too. I, I still look the same as I did in the parade and uh, when I played, so I can't, I can't get get rid of it. It's just me. What's the? What are those games like? By the way, you mentioned you're in the men's league. What's the competition like for a guy that played more than 800 games in the NHL? <laughs> I gotta ask. Oh, I had to take a stretch off. I, there was one game, man. It was like two seconds left, and we're down by a goal. And I'm still competitive, you know. Whether I'm playing for real or for fun. Well, you don't but, lose uh, that, of course not. Right. <laughs> so this kid that was bothering me all day and or all game and. He he had no like these guys don't wear shoulder pads or elbow pads no upper gear and I, I'm full full gear because if I fall I don't want to pop my elbow or my shoulder so there's two seconds left he's carrying the puck on the wall and I tell you what man I ran him from across the ice I backed into him I I, I buried a man and then the bench is yelling like Dorbin what are you doing I'm like I'm trying to win you know and I skated off the ice got out of my gear went home but uh, yeah I, I mean they get intense man it's just more the fact that uh, I don't know, my competitiveness is still in me. Um, and then I had to take a couple weeks off. I was embarrassed after I thought about it and stuff like that, too. So I, I took I took about six weeks off, and I just went back uh, last week. And kind of, you know, everything kind of melted over, and everyone's good. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of embarrassing once I sat back and uh, thought about it. Chris, that sounds an awful lot like Jamie Rivers getting kicked out of, uh, you know, pickup games as well because he takes it too seriously. 
<laughs> I, I bet Ribs does, man. I bet he does. And I bet you he's throwing his lumber around and, you know, obviously chirping because that's what he's good at. But uh, I, I don't know. That would be a fun sight to see. Well, here's my question to you, Chris. Like, Are you the only former NHL player in this league? Because if so, I mean, <laughs> I would imagine every other, like, 25-year-old dude that thought that he could have played at the next level is like, man, if I can just show Chris Thorburn what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of cool that way, man. Like, And it's, it's kind of like similar when I was in San Antonio with the young kids. Just ask me questions because we skate with a few of the young kids. Uh, and they're, I mean, they're not any playing any serious hockey, but at the same time, they still have questions and stuff. So, and I, at the same time, I love answering them. Um, so, just more the interest and uh, the excitement of having me around, which makes me feel special. And uh, I guess there's a little bit of camaraderie because you know we drink beer before, after, so it's kind of a kind of a night out, I guess. So, all around, as much as I, I'm a little bit too intense at times, I, I enjoy it. That's awesome to hear. Well, Chris, it's great to hear that things are going so well for you, buddy. Now, to talk about this Blues team on ice, now, I'm not sure because you do have life to enjoy right now with your family, but I'm not sure how many games you've caught for this Blues team. If you have, what, what's been your impression of this team? Of course, a different look with some faces gone, dealing with a ton of injuries, but still very competitive. Yeah, and that surprised me. I mean, it just seems whoever they plug in the lineup, they still, you know, they still uh... – they they still have that that effect that positive effect and uh, guys are filling their positions like that Dakota Joshua I I didn't know much about him and he comes in the lineup and he looks like he's been in the league for five years you know and um, at, at some points it seems like they're unstoppable um, even with the the guys that they've inserted because of injuries and it's just nice to see the depth in the organization but um, I've watched every game uh, if I don't watch it the night of I, I record it and watch it the next morning and. Uh, I'm impressed. Like, I, I really am. But uh, it could have been easy for them to fold the tent and, you know, make excuses. But the team's so resilient. they got such a good leadership group that they don't allow uh, anyone to feel sorry for themselves. So um, it's an exciting uh, team to watch. Um, at the same time, I, I, I know just from reading some of the stuff, they know what they need to do to kind of turn the ship around a bit. And I think for them it's a, it's a simple fix. It's just more of a mindset. So hopefully that starts on this road trip. We're talking to Chris Thorburn, former Blues forward here on 101 ESPN, Stanley Cup champion. Thors, I, I'm looking back at that team that you played on down in San Antonio that you mentioned, and it's funny because I feel like I'm looking at the roster for the Blues this year. You got Jordan <laughs> Kyrou and McKecker and Blay, Mikola, Sanford had some time down there. Husso was the yep. goalie down there for a time. What's it been like for you to watch so many of the guys that, as you mentioned, at the time were just young players coming up through the blue system that I would imagine you had some uh, a lot of conversations about what this next step will look like for them. What's it like for you to actually watch them realizing that potential now in the NHL? Yeah, such a great question, man. And uh, I mean, I was down there for a year and, you know, my schedule was back and forth. So I didn't get to spend much time with them throughout the week, but uh, we created bonds and uh, just to be able to cheer for them because I know how hard they worked and, uh, the uncertainty of playing in the NHL of when you're going to get your opportunity, but every guy that you mentioned took a, took advantage of their opportunity, and right now they're running with it, and they have no choice, right? Because uh, the team needs them, and they've stepped up in big ways, whether it's uh, goaltending or uh, Mackenzie McEachern on the fourth line, just buzzing around, being effective, and um, like you said, I mean, Sammy Blay, Sandy, Sanford's on fire. Um, it's just, I'm just happy for all these guys that have made that jump, and they're getting an opportunity to. Uh, show how they can be uh, effective for the organization, and, and they're doing a great job. 
Forbes, I, I got to ask you about Jordan Cairo because he's the guy that we've been talking a ton about this season. He's taken that next step finally in his career. And there was a point in time when it, there were some questions about, you know, what does his future look like here in St. Louis? And I know we talked with uh, Jamie before the season about this potentially being a fork in the road moment for him. And he's responded in a huge way. What did you see from him down in San Antonio? And how does that compare to the player that you're watching now with the Blues? I, well, I think he's playing with the same amount of confidence that he played in the HL uh, right now in the NHL. And uh, for Ruzi, I, it was never a question, was he going to be an NHL? It was just a matter of, you know, understanding more so the, probably the defensive side and learning that aspect of it. But, I mean, down there, it was, I mean, it wasn't even fair. Like, he he almost looked at a place as uh, from a positive standpoint. Like, he was just uh, above everyone else talent-wise, speed-wise. Um, and similar to what he's doing in the NHL, you know, his speed is, uh, he's fastest guy on the ice most nights and, uh, he's being, he's so productive. And uh, the thing about Kyrie too, is his attitude, his attitude, he wants to learn, he wants to be better. And, um, I think that's helping him out uh, big time right now. And it's showing why, uh, he's going to be a, a great player for the blues, uh, for a long time. Chris, the Blues got some good news uh, yesterday, getting Tyler Bozak back tonight. They're getting Schwartz back on Friday. Two guys that you're very familiar with. What kind of impact do these two guys have on a roster when they're not in the lineup and then when they return? Oh, my God. These, I mean, and I don't think the fans understand how much a locker room, like a locker room atmosphere kind of transfers onto the ice. Um, but these guys add so much to that. Uh, Bozy. He's got a calming effect. He's he's funny and um, and let alone a great and effective player. So they're going to be so excited to get him back. And then uh, Schwartzy, Schwartzy's top notch man in my books. And um, what he brings to the to the team is uh, is it, just I can't even explain it. He's just that important. And um, they got Tarasenko back. So um, you know I think with all these guys coming back, the excitement's just going to grow and it's going to reflect in their play. Last question that I've got for you. We're talking to Chris Thorburn, Stanley Cup champion, former Blues forward here on 101 ESPN. Thors, do you think that Bozak can take on a role similar to what Alex Steen had whenever you guys went on that run in the playoffs? Could he be that kind of player for the Blues this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to compare the two because I think they're totally different players. But at the same time, that veteran uh, void that they have right now, um, the veteran presence, and then uh, similar to Stan, uh, Steiner, uh, the different situations that you can put Bozy in, there's pretty much not one situation that you can't put him in offensively, defensively. Um, I said I don't want to compare them, but, I mean, both players kind of bring the same attributes. So, um, yeah, either way, uh, I think Bozy's just going to be a welcome addition uh, at a time that they really need him. And I think he's going to uh, fulfill any void that, uh, that Ruby has uh, has in his lineup, and I think that's just going to give him more flexibility throughout his lineup and more options. Chris, I just got a couple of text messages, one from Cam Jansen, one from Joe Vitale. They said, anytime you want to come back into St. Louis and hop on the ice for some games, they're ready for you. Oh, those, those are the two guys why I don't go back on the ice. They know I'm going to get hit from behind by Cam, and Joey Vitale is going to be nibbling at my ankles, so I'll, I'll, I'll stay away. Forbes, do, we do have... want to come back to St. Louis. I'm telling you what. We want to come back there, man. We love that place. We, you, you know we that. hope you do, man. We hope you do. Uh, if you could have yeah. one warmer St. Louis Blue to play with in a pickup game, who would you choose, Thorpes? For whatever reason, <laughs> whether it be just the fun or to play on the ice with them. 
Oh, my God. Well, I'm going to go with Alexander Steen just because he, he could lead me in the right direction if I get lost off the path. So I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Stank. And he's a, he's a fellow retiree, so i got to support him. He's Chris Thorburn, former Blues forward and a Stanley Cup champion for the rest of his life. Always going to be remembered for that here in St. Louis. Thorbs, you're the best, man. Always appreciate the time. Look forward to talking with you again soon, man. Oh, my gosh, guys. Thanks for having me on, man. That was, uh, that was a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Chris. Always happy to have you. That is Chris Thorburn joining us here on 101 ESPN. Man, sometimes when you talk to those guys that were on that Stanley Cup team, you're reminded, like, oh, yeah, that's why they were able to come back from where they were in early January. It's like, yeah, of course, of course. When you have these kinds of guys in the locker room, you can rebound. Now, it takes the requisite skill. It takes the requisite amount of talent. But you've also got to have, and Thorburn mentioned it there, the right guys in the locker room to be able to go on a run like that. And I think this Blues team has it, but that Blues team absolutely had that right blend of of personalities in the locker room. Chris Thorburn just gave everyone the perfect example why that team was a cup champion because of his – that was the sole reason, BK, his personality as to why Doug Armstrong recalled him before the postseason began so that he could be on that roster because he is a calming presence in the locker room. He, Alexander Steen – Pat Maroon, they kept things light. You need those guys. That's why they brought in Kyle Clifford, because Kyle Clifford does the same thing. He's been on a cup team. He knows how to keep things light, and he knows how to joke around with the players. Chris Thorburn was one of the best locker room guys that I got to cover this team with, so it's cool to catch up with him. But, yeah, he is the perfect example as to why that team was able to go from last to first and win a Stanley Cup. And, by the way, I love the fact that he picked Alex Steen as the guy that he would want to play oh, yeah. a, a pickup game with. It's perfect. It's absolutely because perfect. They, because, because he knows that that's the guy that's going to help him win and not you know destroy them like Cam Jansen or Joe Vitale. Would. 100%. <laughs> with, Ale- with Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll dive into number three on our 20 most important Cardinals list coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Tanner Hendrickson, what do you have for us? So I, I'm sure you guys, you know, we're starting to get the vaccine more distribu- distributed. Are you guys planning a vacation? You guys are thinking about, what? where am I going to go in I'm the summer? I'm going to Orange Beach this summer with, nice. uh, with Kara's family. So with the in-laws, future in-laws. Yeah, we got a couple vacations planned. Uh, Katie and I always go up to Michigan to visit her uncles. And, of course, we're taking... Uh, Saugatuck, Michigan. Real I've heard place. fantastic things about oh, that yeah. place. It, it's it's a small little area where it's got a little tiny community, but we can go to the beach there on Lake Michigan. I've or heard they have good breweries right around there as they well. They've got fantastic breweries and some great burgers as well. But, of course, we get to take our baby girl up there, and then we're doing a family vacation with myself and my nieces and my sister and my parents. We're doing a, we're doing a big Disney as long as things oh, are all okay oh, this spring. Congratulations. Yeah. You're going to have a... What will it be at that point? A six-month-old baby going to Disney World. It's going to be great, man. We're going to have a magical time. Air quotes. When magical. are you going? So we're going the end of August, beginning of oh. September. It's going to be like 120 degrees. I, I believe me. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm not a fan of the decision, but I was overruled by everyone in my family. On the plus side, Alex is missing my uh, bachelor party to be able to go down yeah, there when it's 150 I'm missing degrees. Memphis, which would have been awesome. <laughs> 
So you guys are doing these trips with your family. If no one could go with you, though, in your family, would you go by yourself? Uh, I, I can honestly say I don't think I've ever been on a vacation on my own. Um, I like would. Just, I'm not opposed to it, but I've never been on a vacation just for myself. Just you. Yep. Like, I, yeah, I was going to say, I've gone on vacations with me and another buddy, but I've yeah. never gone on a vacation. My, well, I don't know if it was considered myself or a vacation, but I went to Boston for the cup final myself, but that's not really a vacation. So. It's a little different. And it's work, yeah. right? You were working right. for that. Technically. So, no, I, I've never traveled by myself. So, a guy was making plans. He wanted to do his uh, vacation in, I think it was January, and no one in his family would go with him. So he sends a message to... Yeah, that's disappointing. Yeah, he doesn't want to go by himself, so he sends a message in a group on Facebook of thousands of people and says, hey, anybody want to go on a vacation with me? Gets one response, so him and a complete stranger took a full week and a half to go visit Turkey. Okay, get the blank out of here. He posted on Facebook and asked somebody to go on vacation with him? Yeah, he turned to the group. 10X Travels, the group on Facebook, if you want to join. Uh, It's followed by 40,000 people. Holy cow. And he got one person to go with him. Okay, that's the start of a serial killer movie on Netflix. Yeah, this feels like Hostel. I yeah, don't know. They look happy. They look happy. They look happy. Istanbul looks beautiful. Did the other beautiful. person have to pay Istanbul. his own way, or was this guy willing to pay for you to go to Istanbul? I think that he paid for most of it. If I'm reading this correctly, I think yeah. he paid for most of it. I think if I had to kind of dissect this, I'd say price seventy-five twenty-five. I potentially do that. No a stranger? No, if BK, you won't even twenty five percent of going somewhere else? BK, you won't even change your tire and you're gonna go to Istanbul with somebody you don't even know? Time out. These are very different situations. I can't change my tire because I'm unaware and uh the opposite of skilled. Um Apparently would... you're unaware of getting murdered if you're going on a vacation with somebody you don't know. Correct, that's in play. I'm all <laughs> about experiences, man. It's why I like going to concerts, why I like going to games, why I like traveling. I'm all about the experiences. I would rather have that than, like, a, a tangible asset, if you will. So, I, yeah, if they're paying for 75% of my trip, okay, I'm willing to do that. Serious question. You go on this trip, but you have to sleep in one room. Yeah. Do you do it? Sure. I think that's okay. what they did. BK yeah. is going to get killed. Plain <laughs> and simple. Probably. BK will get killed. I mean, if you're, let's say it's a, I mean, this is a pretty significant trip. Like the, I would imagine the airline cost alone is quite a bit. So let's say instead of paying $2,000 to go to Istanbul, which would be a badass vacation spot, by the way, you end up paying $500. Yeah, I'm signing up for that right now. I could find I, I could find a way to have a good time in Istanbul, even if I hate this person. Yeah, I could find have a, a great way. have a great time until you wake up in your bed one morning and your side is stitched up and your kidneys are missing. Fun time. It was worth the five hundred dollars. I told you I'm here for the experiences, Alex. Oh my god! <laughs> these strangers, these strangers that met enjoyed their trip so much that they're going to Spain See? next year. And he, the guy who started this, who was looking for someone to go, is taking his mom. So there we go. Okay. Well, that. Okay, well, now he's just warming it up to find more people to murder. He's just trying to get a whole group to go with him on this trip. The, well, the boys. The other thing is, like, I, so I've got a friend who goes on these trips for um, uh, music festivals, right? And she goes alone. She ends up meeting a ton of people out there. Terrible. Terrible. That's terrible. Terrible idea. Well, boys, speaking of people who, uh, who are familiar with each other, former teammates, Michael Brockers and Jared Goff, right? We all know mm-hmm. them from the time in, in the Rams organization. Best well, 
take you back to January 31st when Jared Goff was traded to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. And then uh, Michael Brockers said that, you know what, Matthew Stafford is a level up over Jared Goff. Makes sense. Well, boom, Michael Brockers, guess what? You've been traded to uh, Detroit to now play with the guy that you just insulted, Jared Goff. What do you think that first meeting is like? Like when, oh, when I can you tell walk you. into the room, it would be like Alex if um, Tanner replaced you on this show, for instance. Whoa. Let's make it more realistic. Wow. If Tanner replaced Whoa. me, Whoa. On, oh, hold man. on. If Tanner replaced me on this show, and Alex said, "You know, we upgraded with the host of BK and Ferrario, my my co-host at that point with Tanner." And then three weeks later, I'm rehired and started <laughs> back into the lineup with you, and you're like, "Oh, what's up, BK?" I could tell you how that conversation goes. Uh, people know, fans of The Office. Uh, Michael Brockers walks into the locker room in Detroit, and Jared Goff looks at him and goes, my, 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 how the turntables. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, number three on our list of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. I think the Cardinals trading for Nolan Arenado means that they are all in on this player. I'll tell you who it is coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. Yeah, there's a 40-man roster, but we only care about 20. It's BK and Ferrario. Number three, Paul DeYoung. There go the runners, and DeYoung sends one out to deep center field. Akiyama back, gone! Grand slam, Paul DeYoung! Paul DeYoung might be your cleanup hitter this year, and he is number three on your list of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2021 season. The lineup is out for today, and this comes from Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I think this is what you should expect on opening day. Tommy Edmond is leading off. He's playing second. You got Paul Goldschmidt batting second at first. You've got Nolan Arenado batting third today. And then the rest of the lineup. Paul DeYoung cleanup. Yadier Molina batting fifth. Tyler O'Neill sixth. Dylan Carlson seventh. Harrison Bader batting eighth and playing in center field. Alex, Paul DeYoung is a massive, massive piece to what the Cardinals want to accomplish this year. If he is the guy that he was when he first broke into the league, the Cardinals suddenly look like they have a top four at a minimum that can compete with the best of the best in the NL. If he's not that guy, if he's more of what he was last year, if he is closer to what he's been so far in spring training, which has been uh -uh, not good, that's going to be a problem for them because they will have, once again, a massive hole with their cleanup spot if Paul DeYoung can't take advantage of his opportunity early in the season. Yeah, for me, this was an obvious choice to be in the top three of my list for this season because without Paul DeYoung, this team is barely going to win the NL Central. With Paul DeYoung, this team is the clear-cut favorite in the NL Central. For me, there's two directions this can go with Paul DeYoung. One direction is you can be the everyday shortstop. You can make John Moselock look like a genius for not only drafting you, but sticking with you as the everyday shortstop and become that prototypical cleanup hitter for this team who's hitting 30 bombs in the season and is effective every night. Or you could go the direction of Aledmus Diaz where you were a one-hit wonder and they had to move on from you because they didn't get any more production. And then the Cardinals have a glaring hole in one position. Now, they've upgraded in the infield, so if Paul DeYoung only pans out to be in Aledmus Diaz, 
you know, they can they can with, withstand that because they have Nolan Arenado and they can find somebody else. But they need his offense this season. They will not be the clear-cut favorite in the NL Central, in my opinion. And I don't know if they'll be able to get out of a first round of the playoffs if they don't have Paul DeYoung being a 20-25 to 25 home run hitter and getting on base at a nice clip. And they need him to be more than just that, too. Like, even if you have the 25 to 30 homers, like, for example, 2019, Paul DeYoung hit 30 home runs that season. He wasn't great offensively, though, because he hit 235. And I know people say batting average doesn't matter, and I'm in the, the I'm in on the concept of batting average is a little overrated. It's not, though, if you're batting 230 and you have a 320 on base percentage, because then your slugging percentage has to be so massively high to make up for your deficiencies when it comes to getting on base, it's really hard to make up for that kind of a ground. So I, he needs to be closer to 250, 260, given how many walks he takes, for me to feel confident in what he is as a cleanup hitter. You could be a six-hole, seven-hole guy batting the way that he did in 2019. That's kind of what I'm looking at from uh, Tyler O'Neill. You can be that guy batting sixth or seventh. You're going to be my cleanup hitter. You're going to be the guy that is adding protection for Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt in the lineup. I need a little better even than what he was back in 2019. I'm with you. Uh, That's why, to me, Paul DeYoung was the most important Cardinal coming into this season. And especially if he's going to hit cleanup. When when I made the list, I thought he was hitting fifth. But it doesn't change my point of view because he's going to have Goldie on base at a high rate probably. He's going to have Arenado on base at a high rate. We had Mark Reynolds on, uh, I think, a week after the Arenado deal happened. And he said, hey, look. If you're behind Arnado and you're behind Goldie, you're going to have a lot of chances to drive in runs. It's very important Paul DeYoung is able to capitalize on his opportunity and bring home runs and return back to that all-star form. Otherwise, I'm kind of with Alex. This lineup is going to struggle to be able to win the NL Central. And if if win the NL Central, then struggle to get past your teams like the Padres, the Dodgers, the Braves. So Paul DeYoung, to me, is the most important Cardinal coming into this season. The big thing for him is a, is consistency. We had a text from the 618. Guys, when was the last time that Paul DeYoung was actually good for an entire season? It was all the way back in his first season in the big leagues in 2017 when for the first half of the year, he had a 935 OPS, which is remarkable. And then in the second half, while he did take a little bit of a step back, he was still at an 825 OPS. That's really good. If he had that all season this year, I would accept that for the season. Yeah. The problem is, since then, he's had an issue being able to maintain what he does in the first half of the season. In 2018, first half, 785 OPS. Second half, 720 OPS, which is below league average in terms of what you're expecting out of him. 2019, it was something similar. 786 in the first half, 730 in the second half. And then you go back to last season. We all know how he finished the year. It just wasn't what you were anticipating. So for him, it's about the consistency. He can start out hot, but you've got to be able to maintain something when you get towards the end of the season. And he's got to stay healthy. I'm not healthy, but he's got to stay ready. That like fatigue cannot become a factor for Paul DeYoung, and that's why it's important this season too. Because not a factor. Fatigue in this instance is not a factor for Paul DeYoung. There there you go, BK. You are a man of many words, and that is some good ones right there. It's Paul DeYoung, man. And look, what's interesting is what happens if he doesn't hit that this season because he's cheap. He's cost controlled. But in my opinion, without Paul DeYoung being the Paul DeYoung that was the first season, your championship window closes. And I don't know your thoughts on this, BK, but 
the the window that was wide open now that you acquired Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt and you have Jack Flaherty and this pitching depth, if you only have a one-two punch of those two guys, I don't know how you can compete with the Dodgers or the Padres, which means you're going to have to go spend more money, which we all know might be an issue for this Cardinals team. So that's why Paul DeYoung is crucial, not just this season. He's very important this season, but I think it's crucial for the next couple of seasons if the Cardinals want to contend. So Brad Thompson said something similar yesterday. He was on the fast lane, and they talked about Paul DeYoung. What's the future look like for him? If he doesn't hit this year, what does that mean for the Cardinals? What do you do? We know we're embarking on one of the largest classes of free agent shortstop ever, right? Correa, Seager, Baez, Story. I mean, there are some monsters. Lindor hasn't signed his extension yet. So the question there is, hey, do the Cardinals look at this market? The answer is no. What? No. They have Wait, they have spent their money on the left side of the end. He's right. They're not looking at that market. That's not what they're going to do. They're all in on Paul DeYoung. The trade for Nolan Arenado means that you're infield moving forward, at least three of the four spots. It's going to be Paul Goldschmidt at first, Paul DeYoung at short, and Nolan Arenado at third. Now, you can move, you can mix and match at second. If Tommy Edmond doesn't work out or if you think he's better in the outfield, you can move that around. If Nolan Gorman is just amazing, he rakes down in AAA, and he ends up being your answer at second. That's perfectly fine. Basically, what you're looking at this season, you need to be right on one of Tyler O'Neill or Paul DeYoung. And if you're not, it means next offseason, I do not believe that the upgrade will be at short because Paul DeYoung has an amazing contract. He's $4 million this year, 6 next year, 9 the year after that, and then 12 and a half and 15 with club options for those last two years. I mean, that's that's as good of a contract as you're going to see in baseball for an above-average shortstop at worst. He's great defensively. He's a guy that you're going to have on your roster moving forward. The place you could upgrade is probably a corner outfield spot. So Tyler O'Neill, that's why this is such a big year for him. When we talk about Paul DeYoung and this being a make or break, that's just in terms of him being a cleanup hitter. That's the spot that you would replace, not him at shortstop. You need a guy to step up to meet that expectation. It could be Paul DeYoung. It could be Tyler O'Neill. Those are really your two options in my in my it mind. It becomes flexibility for me, BK. I mean, look, if Tyler O'Neill doesn't cash him but Paul DeYoung does, then Tommy Edmond can be a corner outfielder for you, and you could use like a Nolan Gorman at second base and spend that money elsewhere. If Tyler O'Neill and Paul DeYoung don't hit, you have to upgrade the power. You have to get somebody who can hit cleanup. You're not going to move on from Paul DeYoung. But that corner outfielder, you're going to have to spend some money on, which might take you out of the running to sign a pitcher to strengthen the depth of that rotation. It all kind of trickles down with each other. And again, it all comes back to Paul DeYoung for me, because if he doesn't become that cleanup hitter, the Cardinals have to go out there and find another option for it. Yeah, it, it's, it's a huge season. It's a big year for Paul DeYoung to make good on what the Cardinals' expectations have been for him over the last few years. They believe in his talent. That much is obviously true based on the way that they're, they've been treating him. Now they need him to make good on those expectations. So Paul DeYoung is at number three on our 20 most important Cardinals list for the 2021 season. It's 1.15, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so, Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, is going to join us. By the way, some news to pass along from Jeremy Rutherford, who is um, on the Zoom call with Craig Berube right now. Craig Berube has confirmed that Tyler Bozak will play tonight, so he's officially back for the Blues. Jaden Schwartz will not. So the expectation, and this has kind of been where I've been at for a while now, he's going to play on Friday night would yeah. be would be my belief. 
And, and one other thing, too, for you, BK, Cap Friendly just made the announcement that it looks like Colton Pareko's contract is moved to LTIR while Bozak returns to, to shore up some of that space. Now, what I don't know is since he was on IR, does the LTIR terms come into play now or when he was on IR? So I that's the think, interesting part. I think it's retroactive. So I'm pretty sure you just have to miss, I think it's like either 24 days or 10 games. 10 games, yeah. I think those are the requirements, whichever one comes first for you. So he's basic, this is just a procedural thing for the contract. Right. Um, he, he'll be eligible whenever he's ready to come back. I and he's not even skating, sure. so that's no concern. You're sure. looking at April anyway for Pareko. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Also, Jacob De La Rose is available for the Blues. He ain't going to play. Dakota Joshua stole that job. He got Wally pipped. Dakota Joshua has yeah. been too good. They like what he brings in the lineup. In fact, they like him so much, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up on that fourth line moving forward. I don't yep. know if it'll be every night when they're 100% healthy, but he's a guy that is going to be in that mix moving forward because he's been that good for the Blues. They love what he's brought to them. 100%. He's got size. He's got the ability to not be stopped when he can skate, and he can skate. He's winning faceoffs. It doesn't surprise me that they're not putting De La Rose in because Dakota Joshua has been the prototypical fourth-line center for this Blues team. So we'll get into all of that coming up at 1.30 with Chris Kerber. Coming up next, let's continue our NCAA tournament quick hitters. We're going to Mizzou's region, the game you're most intrigued to see, the most likely first-round upset, and your sleeper team. We'll get to some tournament quick hitters coming up on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's time to break down the West region. Beautiful pipes, BK. Here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's start with the game you're most intrigued to see, Alex Ferrario. What's the first round matchup that you're most intrigued by? I think I got to go my Missouri Tigers and Oklahoma Sooners, oh, boys. Oh, yeah. That's the I game. Mean, we, That's the one. We got we to go by intrigue because is it going to be the Missouri Tigers that show up that decide that, hey, we might be able to make Gonzaga a little nervous? No. <laughs> but... Maybe they get out of that first round and would make it a successful season. So that's the one for me because I really don't know what the Missouri Tigers are. If I had to pick a close second, it's Virginia versus Ohio because Virginia being in the quarantine and really not getting the proper opportunities to get set for this tournament, that one I'm a little curious by, but I'm going to pick Mizzou versus Oklahoma. How could you not be excited to watch one team who's lost five of its last six go up against another that's lost six of its last nine? I excited. mean, that's the game of the century right there. Excited wouldn't be the word that I'd use, but I, I'm looking at it. Tanner, what's the matchup you're looking forward to in this West region, the first round? That one intrigues me because I don't mind watching Missouri lose. Um, oh, come ooh. on. What? As an Illinois fan, I can't say that against one of their biggest Uh, rivals. He'll he'll be sad when Illinois loses to Drexler in the first round. (laughs) Drexel. If they lose, lose, I won't be in work for a week because I'll have a tough time getting over it. Uh, One that intrigues me, and it's just because some of the reports we're hearing, is Kansas Eastern Washington. Kansas is dealing with the COVID-19 protocols. We'll see who's available. We don't know who's been affected yet. We'll see... Based on what we're hearing, it sounds like they're going to be good to go. Yeah. But granted, that can mean you're fielding five guys. So I'm going to be watching that one just to see how Kansas is affected by it. And right now, I've got Eastern Washington pulling off the upset. Wow. wow. Okay, I like it. Uh, let's continue with the most likely first-round upset. I would imagine that is your pick for this for Eastern Washington. I got them, and I've also got – and I say this, and hopefully they don't lose tomorrow. I've got Drexel 
winning against USC. I really you like that direct. Drake. 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 Sorry, yeah. Wrong bracket. Your squad, Illinois, is playing Drake. Yeah, sorry. I'm I heard Drake. You don't have them yeah. winning. No, no. I've got Drake taking down USC. Sorry. They're in the first four. They're taking on Wichita State. I really like that Drake team. I really do. I think they have a chance to they get score. to. They can score. They might be a team that could uh, move a little deeper into the tournament than you might think. I'm going to say they will upset USC in the first round. Yeah, I got Ohio upsetting Virginia in the first round, and I hate it because my guy Brad Stoderberg, a part of that roster as one of the coaches, but I just, I don't trust. Between Kansas and Virginia with the COVID and the quarantines, I feel like Kansas can battle their way through it. Virginia, I'm just not so sure about. They don't have that that star that can lead them through their problems, so it's unfortunate because I don't like it, but I think Ohio is going to be the one that upsets Virginia. Virginia, the way that they play is what makes them vulnerable. There is not a single team in the country that plays at a slower pace than Virginia. And when you play that way, you are limiting the possessions, which plays its way into upsets. You want more possessions if you're the better team because then it decreases the randomness. And in a tournament like this, you get a lot of randomness. A couple threes go the wrong way, and boom, suddenly you're on the back bad end of the upset. We've seen it before for Virginia. It wouldn't be a shock to see it happen again. Mine in the first round is UC Santa Barbara going up against Creighton, the typical 5-12 matchup. If you look over on the athletic, it is their highest likelihood of an upset. They have had a 47% chance of UC Santa Barbara um, covering the spread. This is basically me betting against Creighton making their threes because that's the way they score. Almost their entire offense is reliant upon them making threes. They live by it. They die by it. I think they're going to die in the first round with UC Santa Barbara moving on. All right, next one up for you guys. Who is your sleeper team in this West region? Your sleeper team, your five seed or lower that you think can make a run to the Elite Eight? It's the team that you just picked, BK. UC UC Santa Santa Barbara. Barbara. Yeah, because I I, I think they can beat Creighton. They They were one of my upsets. And as I picked Ohio over Virginia, I think UC Santa Barbara gets past Ohio. So I think they match up with Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Now that's where their uh, their Cinderella story ends. But I think that's an awesome run for a team that's yeah. a 12 seed coming into this tournament. So that's my pick. And when Mizzou beats Gonzaga, they have a chance to beat Mizzou in that uh, Elite uh, Eight. Wow. Let's, now you're... Uh, let's, or sweet let's not tell people to put money on that, BK. Wow, you guys are such a factory of sadness when it comes to Mizzou playing Gonzaga. I don't I mean, blame you, though, because they're going to win it all. Uh, you just said they're going undefeated this season, Tanner. I know. Yeah, I know, but at least I would I would be sitting here going, yeah, they're gonna, they got a chance. They, if they do this, they got a chance. You guys are just like, no, they're dead. They're done. Yeah, they're dead. They are. <laughs> I, I would say Drake. I really do believe Drake, especially because I have them meeting Eastern Washington in the second round. So, But I like Drake moving into the Sweet 16. I haven't given Iowa a run for their money. I could see Drake getting to the Elite Eight. I think they, I think their run stops at the Sweet 16 when they run into Iowa, but don't be shocked if they get to the Elite Eight. They've got a potential run that could be worthwhile, and that's why I'm going through that same type of a path. I've got USC as my team. It's from the same – they're playing Drake potentially in the first round. USC is really poorly coached. I mean really poorly coached. But they're super talented. So it's entirely dependent on which USC team takes the court on any given day. They could easily lose in the first round. Tanner's absolutely right. But they play really good defense. 
and when they're making shots, they look like a really good team. They don't always make their shots, though, and that's the problem. But with KU having their COVID issues, Drake, I don't think is a great team. I've got USC making a little bit of a run to the Sweet 16. I think it ends there, and that's where I've got Iowa beating them. But I've got USC as my potential sleeper coming out of the West region. All right, who is the team that you're most confused by? Is there somebody that stands out to you where you're like, man, I know I should love this team or I should hate this team, but I just don't feel the way that the consensus seems to be in this West region for you? Yeah, it's it's Iowa. I, I mean, Iowa is the number two seed and in everyone's opinion has one of the best players in college basketball. But the problem is I don't know if Iowa's good enough to get to the final four. Now, I say that they are. But matching up against Oregon, I think Oregon can have some fun with them if they get sure. through VCU. And I really think we could see an Iowa Hawkeyes be out of this in the Sweet 16. So they're the ones that confuse the most out of me because I don't know if I should have them as my Final Four team or be done in the Sweet 16. Mine's Creighton. You talked about how they can shoot the three. I, I don't know, just something about Creighton, and then you had the issue with their coach, and he got suspended and then got brought back with the Big East. I don't know. To me, they're confusing because I could either see them making a deep run or just being bounced in the first round, which you said you have, BK. Totally agree with you. They're my team. I've got UC Santa Barbara beating them and then going on, but, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Creighton wins that game, and then Creighton can absolutely beat Virginia. You're telling me a zone team uh, or Creighton who packs the paint? or Excuse me. Take two. Virginia who packs the paint going up against Creighton? That's a perfect matchup for them. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see the matchup with Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. I'm also not certain they're going to win that first round matchup. They're my team as well, Tanner. I'm with you on that one. All right, last one. Who are you picking to make it out of this region? The consensus is picking Gonzaga. Are you guys with the consensus on this one? I am. I really think what T-Bone said is right earlier in the show that Gonzaga is going to go undefeated this season. I think they're going to make the run all the way to the the, uh, the championship game. That's the one that I'm most intrigued because I don't know if it's Gonzaga or Illinois, but I really think the Zags can make the run. They got two of the top players right now in college basketball. Um, they can shoot the hell out of the ball, and they're big underneath the basket. Gonzaga is my consensus because I think they're running they're running the table this season, boys. Yeah, I mean they can do everything offensively, and that's what makes them so dangerous. And Suggs is a top top five pick in the NBA yeah. draft this coming year. I mean he's a stud, and he when he got hurt earlier in the year and missed I think part of a game, it made me worry and go, oh I don't know if they recovered from that. They've been fantastic. I, they're really well coached. They can do everything offensively. Defensively, I think they're okay. So I would say, yes, they come out of the West, and with Alex, they go undefeated this season. It's kind of like Illinois, where we talk about them as having two superstars, except Illinois, or excuse me, Gonzaga has three of them. Like they, they, they are three deep when it comes to stars that could carry them in any individual game. I'm with you guys. The other thing, they got a great draw. Alex, we're Mizzou fans. We're realistic about this. The likelihood yeah. is Missouri's run comes to an end in that second round against Gonzaga. We all know that to be true. Right. And then it's probable, if you go by the seeding, that Gonzaga will play Virginia. Virginia's good. I'm not going to pick them to beat Gonzaga. That's not the team that I think can keep up with them in terms of the points. And then you've got Iowa or USC coming out of the the bottom half. Maybe KU coming out of that bottom half of the bracket. Maybe Drake. No. 
Possibly Drake. Not Drake. I, I think Iowa could do it. They're the team. If there's somebody else that could win this region, I think it's Iowa. But I'm not picking them over Gonzaga. We're all going with Gonzaga. I think they're going to end up in the Final Four this year. They so get, that is that West region. They're going to get BKO'd, and they're going to lose to a 16 Did you guys see that yesterday? Oh, yeah, no, you BKO'd, you, you BKO'd one of your best, your favorite players, BK. Damian Williams. So I tweeted at one of my buddies because the Chiefs were in on Trent Williams. Former, now current again, San Francisco 49ers offensive tackle. They, they wanted to sign in. They wanted to give him all of their money. So I tweeted out my buddy, hey, if, if it's a guy with the last name Williams, that's somebody the Chiefs are going to go out and get. Literally three seconds later, they released Damian Williams. Nailed it. I mean, they got the entire Kansas City Chiefs uh, organization paying close attention to your Twitter feed. And as soon as you tweet, make the, make the move. PK said it. Get it out of here. That's on me. <laughs> the first round action of the NCAA turn- tournament is scheduled to kick off this Friday. 101 ESPN's getting in on the fun. We are going to watch the games on the screens at Ballpark Village. And by we, I mean me and Alex. Taylor Sorry, will Tanner. be here in studio. You can join us this Friday from 11 to 2 in the fast lane. will be out there from 2 to 6 at Ballpark Village. Plenty of food, bucket specials. Man, me and Alex are going to be drinking all the beer out there. Oh, Giveaways yeah. and ton of screens to watch all of the first round action. Tune in this weekend. For the first and second round of action live on 101 ESPN Saturday and Sunday, it is all courtesy of Matheny, Heating and Cooling, and Goodwill. Man, I hope there's buckets of food and beer here. Chris Gerber is joining us next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on a day where the Blues are expected to get back one of their top players. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, is joining us now. Curves, how excited are you to finally be able to watch Tyler Bozak in the lineup once again? Well, the reinforcements are coming, and that's some really good news at, at the most critical time, Brandon. So, um, I'm excited for him like I was for Vladimir and, you know, guys that have to sit out for quite a long time due to injury. It, it's tough, but uh, good, to, good to know he's ready to go, and, and uh, let's hope we get through this game okay. Curves, we just talked with Chris Thorburn last hour, and I asked him the impact that a guy like Tyler Bozak has, and he says he's a calming presence on the ice and in the locker room. Is that the effect that you've seen from Tyler Bozak over the years? It's an interesting one. You, you know that guys have a more – uh, vocal is not the right word because that, may, that makes you think they're on. They have a louder impact on the team, whether it be because of what they're doing on the ice or the the number of requests from a media standpoint. You know, like let's like say a Ryan O'Reilly or a Tarasenko or Bennington or, or somebody like Pareko. Uh Tyler Bozak came in and just did his job and wins the Stanley Cup in the first year centering that third line. Does his job last year. And when you talk to the players – about Tyler Bozak, they talk about how critical a piece of this hockey team he is and in that locker room. You know, and there may be some games where you look at it and you realize, okay, you didn't you didn't necessarily mention his name a ton, but he's got an assist here, a goal there. You know, there's been, you know, that many more face-offs won, things like that. And I literally just a couple minutes ago got done talking to Craig Berube about this, and he mentioned face-offs. He mentioned penalty killing. He mentioned the calming influence that he had. So, yeah, there's something very real to what uh, Tyler Bozak brings to this team that uh, 
you know, you don't necessarily see written or, or talked about a whole lot. Curbs, the one impact that I'm excited to see with Bozak's return tonight is kind of taking the load off of Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shen and David Perron of what you mentioned, the penalty kill, you know, some of those key moments that they've been trying to do much of because of the Blues injuries now that they can just focus on their game with Bozak returning. Yeah, it's good. listen, it's going to help. And here's what the depth does. Just this one guy coming back, at least the way the lineup is structured for tonight, has Oscar Sundquist probably playing down on that fourth line. And you're thinking, well, okay, Sundquist is better. He belongs you know, up the lineup a little bit. But if you look at how Oscar plays, if you look at the minutes he logs, if, if you look at how he just puts his body you know, in, in the way of a Mack truck every single shift, you know, will, will Oscar's, if he's playing a few fewer minutes five on five, will his penalty killing be even better? You know, if there's not as much penalty killing, what does that energy do, you know, with, with Dakota Joshua centering that fourth line and Clifford on the left? And you just see the depth of this team. And, 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 and even think about it for Friday if, um, if Jaden Schwartz comes back. Well, then all of a sudden maybe it's a Zach Sanford, you know, dropping down to a third line and putting another guy like a Sammy Blay, uh, you know, in a fourth line role. I mean, all these things snowball. And as we've talked about many times, guys, you can make up for a player being out of your lineup, a player of good skill being out of your lineup for a small window with a call-up. But eventually it's going to catch up with you, and, and that's where the Blues are at. So it's great that some of these guys are starting to get back. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, another guy that is back officially as of today is Jacob Baylor Rose. He's available for the Blues, according to Baruby. But the Blues are sticking with Dakota Joshua on that fourth line. What does that say about the impression that he's made on this coaching staff? Well, you know what? He came in and he just he just did his job. I talked to we when we talked to Steve Ott right before Dakota Joshua played his first game because Otto was the guy that had the privilege of being able to skate over to him at the morning skate the day before and and, and tell him that tell him that they're playing. Well, you know the, the reality of it is is Dakota Joshua was defined as a heady player, a guy that won the wall battles, a guy that did some of the things that, that that this team needed to do. And when you listen to Craig Berube's press conferences in the last couple of games, he talks about losing wall battles. He talks about some of just making some smart, safe plays. The fact that you've got another centerman uh, that has experience available and Dakota is still in there, I think he's absolutely earned it. And that, once again, is a, is a Craig Berube uh, way of managing his team. The guy's earned the ability to stay in and he's keeping him in. Curbs, I'm curious your takeaway from Craig Berube's comments on Saturday after that loss. You know, he was asked the question, you know, what's wrong right now? And he said, right now it's just not guys pulling on the same rope. And he said that the way that that gets fixed is from the injured players. But when you heard Craig Berube say that, what was your takeaway? Well, you know, there's there's coach speaking and there's ways coaches have to look at it. But then there's also realities that we know, okay? If you – you cannot analyze what the St. Louis Blues are doing right now and and not bring into the fact that they flew out Sunday night to go back on the road after only being home for three days while being gone for the previous 10, and then have basically been stuck in a hotel room except for practices for three days because of the, uh, because of the postponement of Monday's game, right? And, and the reason I bring that up is there's a human element here. <laughs> there is a human element here. And, and that impacts things. And coaches and players publicly, you know, they're not allowed to talk about that, right? There's no excuses. There's no reasons. Well, it's like we just talked about. I don't know that it's guys aren't all pulling the rope. I, I just, 
I just really think that, while I understand why he said it, I just really think that the course of stretch of hockey and then you're playing the Vegas Golden Knights who are only missing one player in Alex Petrangelo, and you're playing them, you, you get them into overtime one night, you you get a one nothing game going into the third the other night, and you're doing this with, with guys that are playing up the lineup where it's just not where they're supposed to be. They're either not ready or they just don't have that ability. And you still played them that tight? I think you're getting close. So getting some of these guys back in the lineup like we talked about will help, you know, with that phrase of getting guys to pull the rope because it's going to put more guys in the position and in the amount of ice time and in situations that they're probably more accustomed to be successful. Curbs, anything you're looking for tonight from Tyler Bozak as he's out there? If I'm a Blues fan watching this to know that he's he's good to go, he's feeling like himself again, is there anything in particular you're going to be looking out for out of him? I think somewhat uh, like Vladimir Tarasenko, I'm looking for how the physicality goes. Uh, how does he take that first competitive hit? How does he deliver that first competitive hit? Um, you know, And then, honestly, you're just hoping that he gets out of the game healthy, especially since we know he was dealing with, with a head issue. So that's the most important part. In terms of on the ice and uh, the game itself, I'm, I'm just looking to see how the Blues go ahead and employ him, put him in what defensive zone face-off situations, and then also see how he may help with some offensive zone draws, and that plays out too. So, um, you know, simple expectations, I guess, but I think fair ones, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing him finally back on the ice. Looking forward to Jaden Schwartz potentially on Friday night as well. You'll hear all of that action right here on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario has pre- and post-game coming up, pre-game coming up at 8 o'clock. Puck drop with Chris Kerber coming up at 9. Curbs, always appreciate the time, man. We look forward to hearing the call tonight. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys, have fun. We'll have a uh, we'll have kind of a fun special St. Patrick's Day broadcast tonight. So we'll, we'll make it fun for some people. So hopefully people check it out. Looking forward to that. That's coming up tonight. You'll hear the call coming up at 9 o'clock. With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up tomorrow, Alex, I know you're going to be doing something cool as well. You've got a special broadcast coming up at Argosy. Yeah, we're getting warmed up for a March Madness starting on Friday, boy. Some of the games start on Thursday, and I'm going to be over at the Sportsbook at Argosy Casino, Alton, Illinois, tomorrow from 4 to 5 o'clock. The Barstool Sportsbook app now live in Illinois. Amazing promotions, including a $1,000 new player bonus. You can get all the details for that app and check out the Sportsbook over at Argosy Casino in Alton, Illinois. Come over and say hey to me tomorrow starting at 4 o'clock. I'll be there from 4 to 5. Looking forward to that. We're looking forward to talking with... Anthony Stalter of the Fast Lane coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Stalter and I are fixing his Atlanta Falcons, and we've come to the conclusion that there's no fixing them. Wait till Carolina acquires Deshaun Watson. That's going to be it. See, you're going to be amazing. Um, Stalter, this has been an awesome free agency. It's been an awesome offseason for the NFL once again. What did you make yesterday? The big news, of course, was sounds like Russell Wilson, for the time being, is going to stick with the Seattle Seahawks. Right. And the Bears plunge into the quarterback market, I mean plunge, by getting Andy Dalton on a one-year $10 million deal. What did you think of that news yesterday whenever you initially saw it? If I'm a Bears fan, um, I, I'm devastated, but I'm, I'm used to being devastated sure. because you gave up 
whatever you gave up to go get Mitchell Trubisky in the same damn draft as Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, so you know they're going to screw it up. Andy Dalton is the epitome of fine, or at least he was for most of his career in Cincinnati. He doesn't solve anything. I'm not a big I, – I never was a big Mitchell Trubisky fan, but if anything, you've you've just moved sideways with Andy Dalton. You're screwed. But Russell Wilson was not going to – how does that help Seattle to get the Bears' 20th overall pick and then first-round picks the next couple of years? Well, there isn't a Russell, trade for Russ. Like, that's what I exactly. don't understand about why this has even become a thing. If you're the Seahawks, I get it from Russ's point, right? He wants to have more control. He wants them to be improve the O-line. Okay, I can at least – I get that perspective. You right. could agree or disagree with it. I understand where he's coming from there. From the Seahawks, okay, cool, Russ. Yeah, we'll figure this out for How you. How do they get better by trading him? You don't. You right. get worse immediately, no matter what. And if you're if you're the Seahawks, too, you say, oh, you're giving me three first-round picks. I'm giving you Russell Wilson. So where are those, those first-round picks going to come from in the next two years? The 20s. Exactly. Where you get the fifth-best offensive tackle. Right. And the, the reports, oh, you know, the Pete Carroll really likes Sam Darnold. I'm sick of the whole – whether – if it's Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson, have you noticed it's always, well, they give up Tua if it's Miami or mm-hmm. you give up Sam Darn. If I'm Houston or Seattle, I don't want them. I want Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. I'm not a big Trey Lance guy, but if they are, I want, I want the young guy to start right away because that is the biggest advantage in sports right now. You're not paying the quarterback. I don't want. Well, we give you Tua, save Tua. Give me a pick anyway. Give me, give me a pick. Give me an extra pick. You, you keep Tua. I'd rather have your second round pick, um, New York, exactly. than getting Sam, Sam Darnold. Darnold, or even your third round pick, which is right at the front end of the third round. I'd exactly. rather have that right now than Sam Darnold. Oh, Sam Darnold can start for a year and then the root. No, no. By the way, those are the two teams, and the reason why they're the two teams that make the most sense. Forget Sam Darnold, forget Tua. It's because of all the picks that you mentioned. The Dolphins have the number three overall pick and the number 18 overall pick. The Jets have the number two overall pick, and they have the number 23 overall pick in this year's draft. If Deshaun Watson's getting traded, it's going to be before this year's draft. That's a deadline to me because there's no reason if you're the Texans, maybe they're just this incompetent as a franchise. Which they probably are. It's in play. Once you pass that draft, now you have a bunch of teams that have less assets to be able to give you. Absolutely. So now I'm going to suck at quarterback for this year. That's going to happen if you're the Texans. And I'm getting a team's asset that includes having Deshaun Watson at quarterback. So to your point on the Bears picks being worse, now if it's the Jets or the Dolphins, those teams are going to be better suddenly because Deshaun Watson is their quarterback. So instead of having a top five pick like both of them do right now, now I'm having them pick in the 15 to 25 range, and those are much, much, much less valuable. You Absolutely. have to have like three of those to get up to the number five pick right now. If I'm Houston, I one, I'm not trading Deshaun Watson, but if if it comes to the point where I'm, this he'll retire as opposed to playing for my franchise, then I'm calling Miami and I'm getting their two first-round picks and an additional and two or three more. Exactly. And saying, here, you got Deshaun Watson, but you're going you're gonna to give me your next two drafts. Okay, cool. And maybe I do take Tua, but I'm flipping him. I'll take Tua off your hands, but then I'm trading him to another team for a second or a third round pick. I don't even want Tua. I don't want. I don't. I don't. I don't want Tua. I, I like Tua coming out of Alabama, or or sh- shall I say, I liked Tua before he suffered the the, the car injury, essentially, when his leg went jammed into his hip. They call it the dashboard injury because when you get in an accident, 
and your knees are up against the dashboard, it goes, they basically jam into your hip. That's the injury that Tua suffered. He, he had the Bo Jackson injury. And he's said, got an okay arm, not great. He, the only thing he's the only thing he's got essentially at this point is accuracy. I don't I don't want Tua. I would rather have a draft pick. The worst thing that happened for him was us watching Mac Jones light up the SEC last year. Sure, because Mac Jones is a guy. The he's Bears fine. are going to take Mac Jones or the Patriots, one of those two teams. He makes all the sense in the world for either of them. I think the Patriots are going to trade out as always. And I think the Bears are going to trade up. The Bears are going to trade up to the Patriots spot at fifteen and take Mac Jones. What if the Pay Patriots plan all along has been Deshaun Watson? That would be great. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't agree with that at all. It's mean, great like, for them. I know you guys have Albert Pools coming up today. Yeah, 15. Looking forward to that. What else do you guys have coming up on the show? Well, do you need anything more? Well, I mean, yeah. That's right. that's an appetizer. What's the main entree? So, uh, Albert, yeah, Albert at 415. We're going to talk about Tyler Bozak returning to play tonight. So we'll get a lot of blue stuff in, and we'll we'll – dive into the, the latest here with Watson and Wilson and all that because it remains intriguing with about a month and, I don't know, a week ahead of the draft. That's coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise.